Piontek ci prova e va a segnare un gol strepitoso questo è un fuoriclasse Piontek due tiri due gol This goal was scored by Christoph Piontek in the quarterfinal of the 2019 Coppa Italia as he beat Kalidou Koulibaly and hammered the ball in from a tight angle bagging a brace in Milan's 2-0 victory over the Partenope. Standing at 6 feet, Piontek is known for his great combination of strength, pace, positional awareness and his sick obsession with scoring goals. The Polish forward started his senior career with his local side, who I cannot pronounce for the life of me, but really hit the mark with Lubin and Krakowia, scoring a total of 50 goals and 150 appearances. This feat earned him a move to Serie A side Genoa, where he scored 19 goals in just 21 matches and was bought by Milan for 35 million euros after just 6 months, where he scored 16 goals in 41 matches. After a season with the Rossoneri, Piontek started struggling to find goals, which caused Milan to sell him in January to Hertha Berlin. Many superstitious Milan fans blamed the dramatic dip in form on Piontek's decision to swap his number to the infamous number 9, which is thought to be cursed. The struggling German side still own Piontek, but he's currently on a six-month loan to Fiorentina, who have the option of buying him for 15 million euros. Here, he scored five goals in 356 minutes of play. Will this be the great return of Il Pistolero? So hello and welcome back to say a spotlight episode 26 where your host Jake and Matt be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram guys we'll have lots of fun over there we're on TikTok too which is going terribly but you could probably help change that don't forget to check out our website as well seriaspotlight.com for the full package in one place including our brand new blog shout out to Mitul and David who are doing bits fantastic new read on Torino Definitely recommend you check that out. Yeah, and Mithul's even working on a, on a Cagliari one as we speak. I'm very excited for that one. Um, also, guys, we would appreciate it if you could rate the podcast on Spotify or wherever you're listening. Apparently, that would help us grow. So we'd really appreciate if you gave us five stars, maybe four, if we're not as good as we think we are. Yeah, maybe. Uh, Jake won the prediction series this time round once again. It's, I think... Uh, My eighth victory. Your no, eighth victory? I, I think it's your seventh one. Maybe my seventh or my eighth. Seven is the lucky number, though. Yeah, I think it's... Champions League. Mm, I think it's seven-four now. Four would be who? Barca, I but think. But the whole point, bro, is that you you chatted shit, huh? I thought, I thought you were being you reckless. You told me I was reckless. What, what prompted you to, to say that? Fiorentina, Atalanta. Fiorentina, Atalanta. And you got that right. You got... Well, not bang on, but you, you predicted the Fiorentina win. Well, that's that's kind of uncalled for, I would say, man. Fucked my bitch and I'm fat and, and deal with it, bro. And all that. Deal with it. We're back in the flesh this time, guys. So Jake tested negative for COVID finally. So we're home. We're recording together, which allows us to have a drink together, which is exactly. quite nice. Um, and I'm drinking water to celebrate because, <laughs> because being out in the real world after being stuck inside for two weeks is exhausting, uh, mentally draining. I'm getting home and I'm just passing out on the couch like it's absolutely terrible. Um, but at least technology shall no longer mar our valiant podcasting efforts. We had a massive fuck up in our last <laughs> podcast. We went live 
and it's like we just started talking, plugging everything in, and then we just go, but yep, Napoli are placed third, and yeah, then just exactly. cut to the, end of the entire Inter game. Up. Totally missed the Inter Napoli game, like the biggest game of the but week. He calls me at 9 a.m. He's like, bro! <laughs> <laughs> You were hungover because you were drinking yeah, whiskey. I edited night. that podcast trash. <laughs> trash that I was. I was in the car going to work because I always listen to the pod first thing in the morning. So I listen to it as I fall asleep. Yeah. But obviously, I fall asleep and I can't listen to it. Um, so then I continue it in the morning, like where I left off, and I'm just like, what the fuck is happening, man? <laughs> yeah. um, I can't listen to it. You can't listen to the I pod. listen to I listen to the majority of it. I skim through it, like, but I can't listen to the whole thing. That's super for for our followers to yeah. hear. So, guys, make sure to follow us and listen <laughs> to our entire podcast. No, it's the fact that I'm just listening to a conversation. I had so I'm having the same conversation twice. You know what I mean? I listen up for the quality, the points, see how we can improve it a little bit. But I'm not gonna listen to the full hour and half of my own pod. You know. But I listen to it firstly to kind of pick up on things I've said before, so I can keep track of predictions I've made and stuff like that. Fair. So, and even if you make a bullshit prediction, I can call you out on it later um, and aside from that like I spot a couple mistakes here and there maybe things that I can brush up on etc etc and plus man I really laugh when I listen to it it like. is it is fun I listen to the Grima one to be honest whenever I have guests on I listen to the whole thing for sure mm-hmm. yeah, but when it's just you man I'm, I'm not ah, it's a bit boring exactly. yeah, when it's just me interesting I think we should get into this let's get into it it was a wild weekend so the fixtures were already nuts as is so obviously Inter Sassuolo Fiorentina Atalanta a um, couple of relegation dogfights as well between Venezia, Genoa, etc, etc. Um, and a couple of upsets, man. There was only one team from the top 10 that managed to get away with three points this time around, and that was Fiorentina. Yes, thanks to Christoph Pumpumpiontek. Um, we'll get into that later on, of course. We'll start off with um, what should have ruined my weekend, Yeah, to be honest. But mm-hmm. thankfully, it wasn't as detrimental as it should have been. Salernitana 2, Milan 2. Now, before the game, Pioli warned everyone about the dangers of Salernitana with their new man, Davide Nicola, up front and their new squadron, who's just pretty much improving every game now. He made it sound like he's a striker, Davide Nicola, up front. (laughs) You're right, actually. (laughs) Um, He's the manager, of course. Now, Salernitana have only beaten Milan once in six games. They lost four times, and this victory came in 1948 in a 4-3 loss for Milan. Um, Only five of Salernitana's 14 points have come against teams in the top 10, while Milan came into this game with 31 points earned against, against sides in the lower half of the table, only Napoli have achieved more with 34. Now, this is an interesting stat for those saying that um, losing to lower-tier sides means that you don't deserve the league, when in reality, over here, Milan have actually picked up more points than Inter against those sides. So mm. that narrative is a little bit reactionary, yeah. maybe. Um, let's run you through the play-by-play so we can bitch and moan about this game. <laughs> in the fifth minute, Messias scored thanks to a Theo assist. It was a lovely through ball. Um, where the hell was their defence? I thought this was going to be a 3-0 when mm. I saw this goal. Mm. Easy, no? Be with you. Yeah, it was easy. It, it looked like an easy goal. Mm-hmm. Um, in the 29th minute, Federica Bonazzoli scored a bicycle <laughs> kick after Manian rushed off his line. Foolishly, it was a, an amateur mistake right after everyone hailed him. You know, oh, the guy that made everyone forget about Donnarumma. Um, mm. To be honest, he has made Milan fans forget about Donnarumma because he seemed almost superhuman. 
Um, but at this point, you know, this was a big, big mistake, unfortunately. In the 72nd minute, Salernitana took a shock lead through Milan Juric, who um, scored a header after a Pasquale Mazzocchi cross to Mori, um, another un- uncharacteristic mistake over there. And in the 77th minute, Ante Rebic scored a fantastic goal to equalize Maxwell Giroud. Simple pass that went down as an assist. Exactly. <laughs> now, <laughs> let's get down to it. There's so much to say. Um, bro, first of all, thoughts on the game before I run you through my points. So, thoughts on the game was, to be honest, Salernitana had a very good game. They yes. showcased a change that Davide Nicola could very much bring to a struggling team. So... Off the bat, it seems as though Salernitana have hit the nail on the head with the signing of, of Davide Nicola. And I mean, a 2-2 home victory against Milan is something no one would have anticipated. The players seemed like they had a lot more balls about them. They, had, they were very energetic. They were getting onto those loose balls. And I think they won the 50-50s, which subsequently got them the point against Milan. Yeah, that's that's fair enough. That's a fair analysis, man. Um, they looked pretty organized, I have to say. Um, Salernitana way more organized than I've seen them. To be honest, shades of that game against Napoli where they gave them a hassle as well earlier exactly. on in the season. But it's it's hardly the same team at this point. No. But anyway, um, Ribery always loves a game against Milan, doesn't he? He does. He he worked his socks off in this game, man. And and like you said, Salernitana did manage to keep their shape. I thought I thought they defended very well when Milan were trying yeah. to start play from the defense it seems like they weren't really succeeding um, you could say they were parking the bus but they were doing so in a very organized manner mm-hmm. and they were pressing and shifting and pressing and shifting in a very good manner for sure um, Dragusin who is a, a Juve Loney played a mm-hmm. very good game he was really good um, but anyway uh, what do you think went wrong with Milan today bro apart from Salernitana of course playing well so individual errors were definitely what determined the outcome of this game. I mean, Mike Manian with a very uncharacteristic error alongside Tomori's as well. To pronounce that word hey man! So Manian and Tomori are, are kind of you know alongside Rafa Leao. They seem to be the holy trinity for yeah. for Milan this the season. Guarantees obviously. exactly. And Tonali, who, who uh, I mean, a, a weird exception over there. Um, but it it was those errors. I mean. Mike seemed shaky for the entire game. That wasn't the only mistake that he made. He gave away possession. At a point, somebody tackled him and Romagnoli ended up clearing it off the line. That was crazy. Romagnoli had a very good game. Romagnoli had a good game. He worked well alongside Tomori. Um, But I think that's what ended up losing Milan the game. I I think quite wasteful, which has been a bit of a theme with Milan. Um, You know, Milan had 13 shots. And out of those 13 shots... Five of them were on target. You know what I mean? Mm. Sepe was decent. It's it's good to see him back in Serie A. But yeah, I, I would definitely stick to my point and say it was it was the errors that lost Milan the game. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Milan dominated 61% ball possession over there. It's ex- to be expected. No, I mean, these yeah. stats, are, they go without saying. And Salernitana wouldn't have come into the game wanting to boss possession. Definitely not. No, to absorb and counter. Exactly. And that's what they did. Now, the problem, people are saying that Milan were complacent coming into this. I didn't see a complacent side. No, no. I saw an extremely nervous side. I saw a side that fucking panicked at the final moment, that Mm -hmm. almost took an extra touch in possession because they didn't want to release too early and take the risk. You know what I mean? Like, it's... Uh Uh-huh. Like, normally, like... I never like it when Milan get a super early goal. I, I never like it because 
I, I, I don't know. So Milan got the early goal over here. And then shortly after, like 15 minutes, 20 minutes after, um, Salernitana got one back. And after that, it was shell shock. Yeah. Total shell shock for Milan. So they seemed nervous of passing the ball around. Normally, we hail Benasser and Tonali for playing the ball around beautifully. It wasn't exactly the case this time round. A few stray passes here and there, both caught out of possession a couple of times as well. And it just seemed like the entire system was a mess. Definitely, definitely. Milan will certainly be kicking themselves, especially after the results that followed suit, even though that might have been a psychological domino effect that occurred because of this. Mm. And therefore, this draw actually, you know, gained Milan a point over Inter. <laughs> yeah, it did. Psychologically. It, it did, but but then again, think, think about what a victory could have done. Yeah, of course. That, that pisses me off. This was a must-win game. That was not one, unfortunately. Um, I'd like to highlight Rebic's hilarious performance. He came on, he kicked the ball in, away in rage and got booked as the referee mm-hmm. blew the whistle. Um, he scored a world-class goal, then he went on to play like he was wearing Timberlands for the rest of the game. <laughs> <laughs> That's so accurate. absolutely shit after it's, it's true, it's There true. was a point where I don't know what the hell he tried to do. Like, he tried to dink the ball over the top mm. like to play, I think, fucking I don't. us through. Yeah, but I don't even get pissed off when Rebic plays like that because I do understand that on another day that shit would come off. And if simply he weren't to try those things, then they'd never come off. And we've seen the shit he's pulled off. Man, this season, last season against Juve, for example. I think he's the kind of player you need to kind of give him as much freedom as you can. And that's how he produces something magical at the end of it. Yeah, he's one of the most human football players I've ever seen. You know, you can see his genuine reaction to things. like Exactly. It's, it's so fun to watch, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I am a big fan of, of Rebic. <laughs> um, someone said once, it was a journalist, he said that Rebic, he said that if he were a child, he would have a poster of Rebic on his wall. Oh, wow. Because he plays like he's on the beach, basically. He's That's absent-minded, good. distracted, then suddenly, bang, he scores a one. That's right. I'll never forget his performances for Croatia in the last World Cup when he was playing on the left wing. As in, the last, World Cup was, the last World Cup, he was terrible, no? No, what do you mean? Wasn't there? that when he told everyone they were shit and got sent home? Or was that the Euros? That was the Euros. That was the Euros. Moment. This yes, is the, the World, the World Cup. They made the yes, finals. Yes, of course, of course. Against France. Yes, you're right, you're right. Okay. Um, we often discuss this and the consensus is always the same. Um, I'm going to ask you again anyway. Can Salernitana survive, man? Can Nicola get on his bicycle and cycle from Salerno to fucking... Turin or the I mean, it's it's ridiculous that, that this is even a, a topic of conversation and how they can actually do it now, man. Because if I pull out the league table for Serie A, so league table Serie A, they're no longer pretty much in last place. Well, they are in last place, but they're only two points behind Genoa. They have two games in hand. And let's just say, for argument's sake, that they win these games. One of those games against Venezia. Let's say for argument's sake that these games are victories. They're suddenly two points behind Cagliari and Venezia. They can, in theory, do it. They can definitely do it. But, however, with the large shift I've seen being made by teams like Cagliari, Venezia, so on and so forth, I still don't see them surviving. But there's definitely, let's just say, the odds have definitely decreased. Yes, definitely. It's become more likely by a fraction, of course. But I I do think that they're destined to fall, of course. Um, I think I I have settled my bottom three. Do you? Yes. I would say Salernitana, Genoa, Spezia. 
Spezia, man. You're yes. gonna say Spezia. I say Spezia go down, man. They're shit. They're fucking shit. And they're locks out. Like, you can tell when they're not fucking locking out, they're terrible. Okay, we'll, we'll get to that. Yes. We'll, we'll discuss that in that because I really want to discuss that with you. Um, but where do you think mainly... So we, we obviously mentioned the organization for mm-hmm. Salernitana. Was the organization enough to get them a point against Milan? Aside from Milan's errors and Milan um, being wasteful, where else have Salernitana improved under Nicola? I think it's pretty much that, man. Being more tactically aware, being more rigid. You know, being more mm. disciplined to the point that all we're going to do is defend and make the most out of any opportunity we get. Mm-hmm. You know, Milan made two mistakes. They fucking got two goals. You yep. know? Well, Milan made three mistakes from money and rushed out. True, true. Thankfully, that did not result in a goal. I think they seem more motivated as well, man, apart from that. They just seem like you saw how they celebrated their goals. Like, obviously, they're going to do that. They're, they, this was first against 20th. Of course, they're going to celebrate their asses yeah. off. But they seem to have this togetherness about them that normally we don't tend to see with Salernitana. Yeah, um, I have a colleague of mine, bro. Mm. Um, he's a Premier League fan. Okay. And Twat. So he always argues that um, the Premier League is better than Serie A because the bottom teams can beat the top teams. Ugh. Which, by the way, I can't even remember the last time a, a shit team beat City like. But, eh. but anyway. Um, then he came up to me after this result and he was like, Corruption in Italy. Oh, Corruption in Italy. I'm like, fuck you, man. Really? Like, pick a narrative. Hey, man. Hey, no, I, I never understand that argument about how in England the bottom sides can beat the top sides because we see it week in, week out in Serie A. This is the third week in a row we're talking about these results, especially after January. Those bottom teams take a turn, man. They all find themselves after January, I feel. For sure, for sure. So after this catastrophic season-ending disaster for Milan, which means that they don't deserve anything, uh, Milan <laughs> sit in first place with 56 points, as Salernitana sit in last place with 14 points. So all is good in the world. Everything is swell. And even more so swell because the next the next game saw Inter lose 2-0 at home against Sassuolo. So we all remember the reverse fixture where Inter fought back to win 2-1 at the Mape. Of course, we were there. Um, Sassuolo have won 8 of their 18 fixtures against Inter, making Inter their favourite Serie A opponents alongside Genoa and Sampdoria, against whom they also boast 8 victories. Now, coming into this game, Inter had been unbeaten in their last six meetings against Sassuolo, winning their last three. So you could still obviously safely say that Inter were the favourites coming into this. Inter also had the chance to regain top spot after Milan were held by Salernitana, and they knew that. Uh, But they also lost Brozovic and Bastoni, who were banned. So Barella played at the heart of midfield after he sat out for their midweek fixture against Liverpool. The Nero Verdi, on the other hand, missed Filip Juricic. Pedro Obiang, Filippo Romagna, and suspended Gianmanco Ferrari. But Scamacca and Raspadori returned from bans, which is obviously great news for them. So, in the 8th minute, Berardi dispossessed Chalanoglu in a dangerous area and played the ball through to Raspadori, who finished cleanly against his favourite club. Obviously, he is an Inter fan. And there was a real lot of controversy in the last fixture where they lost and he celebrated with the Inter players. Um, shortly after, in the 26th minute, Kamaka headed in off the post after he was found totally unmarked at the, po- at the far post by Traore. We spoke a lot about Traore recently and his efforts and how Sassuolo aren't really missing Boga at the moment. And this was another splendid display by him. 
Yeah, he's inspired right now, definitely. Yeah, he's on he's on great form. He's a young guy, and I definitely think he's he still has a lot of place to grow. So Sassuolo have taken 14 of their 33 points, brother. 14 of their 33 points against the top seven. As soon as they play one of the seven sisters, they look like a top four team. Definitely, and you can't tell me that these guys play for their coach, by the way. No, no I, I don't. I don't think they do. Well, their coach deserves all the praise in the world. Um, but what the fuck, man? You, you know what I mean? The, the second, I think these are at the end of the day, eleven individuals, eleven young individuals, apart from, for example, um, Kirikes and Ferrari, who are on the older side, and they just all want that massive step up. So they tend to perform against the big teams to get a move to the big teams. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. To be honest, um, they. As we mentioned before, you know, their fan base is so small that they don't even have that behind them. They don't even have that giving them the extra push, you know. Um, typically, the away side overpowers them. That, that's the, the mm-hmm. common theme when it comes to Sassuolo. Um, exactly. They're playing to get the fuck out. Yeah. They, that's, that's it. <laughs> In fact, man, this season, Sassuolo, listen to this, brother. They're the first team since 1956 to beat Juve, Inter and Milan away from home in the same season. They beat Juve, Inter and Milan away from home in the same season. The last time it happened was in 1956 and the last team that manages was Bernardini's Fiorentina who went on to win the league in 1956. Now, this was after the Neroverdi lost Deserbi, Locatelli and Ciccio Caputo. And they're doing this. And Sassuolo are known to be many of the Seven Sisters' dark horses. So it's not about the squad. It's not about the manager. It's it's like the blood of the club. That That, that is the kind of club that they are. You know what I mean? I, I, I know what you mean. I'm not sure I agree with you, though. Okay. Um, again, you know, they beat... They, they managed to, to complete this amazing feat where they beat Inter Milan and Juve away from home for the first time since Nanu Joe had hair. <laughs> But, um, you know, at the end of the day, they lost 4-0 to Sampdoria last week. Exactly, that's, that, that's what yeah. I'm saying. It's, it's the, like, how? I don't know if it's their DNA. I just think, again, they have a bunch of players who, who are rated in the league. They have, like, Berardi's rated. They have Scamacca's mm-hmm. rated. Raspadori's rated. Traore's rated. Fratesi, Lopez. These are all players that teams appreciate, that are often linked with bigger clubs. Yeah. They're kind of like the Ajax, I think. Well, obviously, they don't win the league every season, yeah, but, yeah, but they really bring through players. So they bring through Fratesi, kind Raspadori, like, Scamacca, Berardi. Just a stylish underdog that kind of plays very good football that produces very good talent. Yeah, like, like exactly. Ajax. Exactly. Yeah, I see what you mean. Consigli was fucking nuts. He made eight massive saves against yeah. Inter. Yet, obviously, like we mentioned recently, still not even somewhat considered in the Italy squad. He must be a really weird person. <laughs> he, he must, like, take wanks in the dressing room. <laughs> Everyone's like, no, just please, do what you want. I consigli like, just Andrea, keep I'm trying up. to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> but, all right, Consigli ate massive saves. We've often, very often, praised Lautaro as being the perfect partner up front. Though he has been missing his shooting boots, man. His last Serie A goal was on the 17th of December in a 5-0 trashing of Salernitana. Oh. Like, what's happening to Lautaro? You saw his misses this game, man. They, yes. They were absolutely tragic. He had That's one really bad one. It was like an open net. net. Oh my god. Um, yes, Lautaro has been off form, thankfully, for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Really, really poorly off form. And then he goes to Argentina and he scores, no? In the international break. Like, I understand 
why he's not getting as many goals as he does. Because, well, he's not normally Inter's top scorer anyway, because he always has a big cunt next to him. Like last season, he had Lukaku, now he has Zeko. And Zeko, again, he's even more stationary than Lukaku was. Lukaku used to track back and use his strength and run at defenders and all that. But Lautaro, a big part of his job is getting the ball to Zeko, because Zeko's not going to fucking run out of the box. You know what I mean? He's not going to carry the ball forward. So I get that he's not scoring many goals, but then when you put him in a position where he should score, then he should fucking score. Eh? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's a total mental thing. Like it's ah, totally probably. mental. Like you go two, three, four games as a striker without a goal, it really starts to weigh at all on you. You know, and the newspapers start to write about it. Exactly. People start mentioning it. You know, you start getting the... DM'd by thousands of fans, man. Thousands of fans. Not only thousands of fans. Thousands of fucking. Guys who have you on fantasy football exactly. and you're not exactly. scoring and they're like, fuck you, man. Like, <laughs> start scoring. Like, what's wrong with you? And who then you start him? to wonder, what, what is wrong with me? You know, you know, <laughs> there are so many strikers that are like this, man, that struggle with, with their mentality. Man. Yes, of course. I mean, we've seen some of the greatest strikers of our generation. Like, I really rate, for example, Torres as one of the greatest strikers of our generation. How could it be that he just randomly, when he went to Chelsea, there was that mental block? He just Even can't get goals. He came to Milan, couldn't get a single goal, man. Mm. He scored one. Maybe Mental, man. Yeah. But I definitely don't think that that's the only issue with Inter right now. Now, I, I'm talking as though Inter have an issue. But their issue is that they haven't won a game in their past three matches. They yeah. they lost to Milan. Um, they who, who did they drop points against um, Milan, after that? After Milan, Napoli against, against Napoli. Napoli and, and now they lost to Sassuolo at home. Robin Hood. Inter have been making mistakes in dangerous areas, particularly during their build-up play. Now, in this game, it's safe to say, and I can confidently say, that that was the lack of Brozovic. Yes, not for sure, bro, for sure. Like, they need to give him that six million. He understands this team so well. He's pivotal. He's the metronome over there, man. You know, Mm -hmm. he keeps everything working, ticking. He works fucking so hard. He doesn't stop, man. And to be honest, you know... The other players around there can't can't do what he does. They're no, good, absolutely you know, Barella's not. good. Chalanoglu's good. Yeah, but, but I don't like Barella. And they do what he does? No. I don't like Barella's the heart no. of that midfield. He needs to be given some more freedom. Yeah, he's he needs space to to attack comfortably. And he's not he's not that type of player anyway to be a metronome, to be a register. No, you know? absolutely Brozovic not. Brozovic is a good register, like I think that was a mistake. From Inzaghi to put him there. Did he have many other options? Absolutely not. Not really, man. That's the thing, right? We already said that um, apart from like Barella and Chalanoglu, they only have muscle in that yeah. midfield. You know, Gagliardini, Vecino, Vidal. Um, we also saw the absence of Bastoni, DeMarco. 100%. It, it was felt for sure. And Perisic, I felt, had a good game again. Perisic had a good game. Um, He's dangerous. Perisic enjoys having DeMarco behind him. DeMarco's very wing minded. I feel yes, like yes, whenever yes. he gets the ball, he plays the ball down the flank. Now, that's like Bastoni is very good at playing the ball around from defense. He could play it to, to the midfield, he can play it directly to the striker, he can play the ball around. I recently saw this clip. Like, when Inter played Liverpool, they were playing the ball around, like, like prime Barca. You, you know what apparently I mean? They like, dominated them. Mm, they, they dominated them for, like, 75 minutes, um, apparently. Yeah. So, it's, it's not like they normally struggle in that region. But from build-up play in the past three games, they have really struggled, man. Yeah. They have really struggled in Serie A. In the second half, they brought on Dumfries and Zeko for Darmian and Gagliardini. And I thought that was it. I thought they'd, they'd come back. Yeah. But, but they didn't, you know. Sassuolo held the fourth very well. Um, they brought on Defrel, who did a lot of dirty work, mm-hmm. pressing in the 70th minute. They brought on Ruan, who's, you know, all right, mm-hmm. like, 
And doesn't stand out as a bad player. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. Uh, Sassuolo are normally, and we've spoken about this before, butlers. Yeah. As soon as they get a lead, just know they're going to concede a goal. But the fact that they got two goals in 26 minutes and they managed to stop Inter from getting a single goal, well, Inter did end up scoring a goal. That's something I didn't mention in the last minute oh, of yeah. the game, but but it was disallowed for, for an offside, marginal mm-hmm. offside, but it was offside. Um and yes, Sassuolo managed to maintain that 2-0. It was Devry, right? Yeah, it was Devry, um, which, yes, right, it, it would have helped his confidence it because, you know, the, the defence have been struggling a little Unlucky. bit. Yep. But now, thanks to that, Inter are still second. They're two points behind Milan. Obviously, should they win their game in hand to Bologna, they'll be one point ahead of Milan. Um, Sassuolo in 11th, and they're really looking to break into that top 10 now. Wow, man. Yeah. They're really fighting for it. And... Looking, so one thing we don't normally take into account is a, a, a legitimate goal for teams is to break into the top 10. And there's yeah. Verona, Torino, Sassuolo, Bologna. There are all these teams that are fighting for it. And, and I've got my eyes on that battle, man. It's, yeah. a, it's a beautiful one. It is interesting, right? They want to finish 10th place, like it's to be in the top half. Of exactly. The yeah, it's important. It is. And, and I'm sure there's some financial benefit to it. Too. Probably. So the next game in your capable hands, my brother. The next game was between Cagliari and Napoli, which was the third um, fantastic result for Milan. Um, (laughs) 1-1. 1-1 in um, Sardinia. Napoli failed to capitalize on Milan and Inter dropping points, of course. Cagliari have only suffered one defeat in 2022. They have been a pain to play. They've been an absolute pest. You know, their back line has been pretty solid and rough and they actually have quite a lot of creativity going forward. We said at the beginning of the, the season that they have too much talent to be at the bottom mm-hmm. the bottom in the relegation day, yeah. battle. Uh, you look at their starting eleven and yeah. come on, they shouldn't that's be a, that's there. That's a solid team. Like. Um, Napoli are unbeaten in 23 of their last 24 matches against Cagliari. Um, the only time they lost during this period was 1-0 in 2019. Wow. Now the play-by-play very quickly in the 58th minute. Gaston Pereiro shot with a low-driven shot that wasn't really powerful, to be honest. Um, Ospina yeah. turned into Handanovic. Mm. Yeah, not, not even Handanovic. <laughs> he reminded me of Audero at that point. Yeah. That, that kind of... Really weak. Yeah, passatore. He, like, he didn't get behind the ball. Like The main thing you should do as a goalkeeper, and I know this because I trained as a goalkeeper when I was nine. And you won a trophy. <laughs> and I won a trophy that you broke after an argument. Yeah. <laughs> no, but all jokes aside, the yeah, very, very basic... <laughs> The very basic is you need to get behind the ball. And he just simply didn't do that. He let the ball roll underneath him. Um, he looked to parry it, didn't really get to it. It was awful. It was awful, Terrible. quite frankly. Um, the assist by Deola, who's been, who's been pretty good. Mm-hmm. Adiola won over Giza. In the 87th minute, Victor Oziman, the super sub-air Oziman, um, scored after a Mario Rui cross. Um, he stopped Cagliari from walking away as the victor. Mm-hmm. Do you get it? Cagliari walking away as, as, the, as victor. the victor. Victor Oziman. <laughs> Insane, bro. Thanks, nice bro. one, man. Thanks, man. Insane. It's good to be back. Insane. <laughs> <laughs> so, talking points, bro. Um, is it just me or have Napoli's injury woes made a comeback? Uh, what do you mean, though? What, what do you mean by their I mean, injury look their, woes? Look at their starting level. Ah. Rahmani, Koulibaly and Jesus. Um, Lorenzo, Demezilinski and Rui I found it Elmas, really... Mertens and Petania up front I found it so interesting that they went for a 3-4-3 man 
so interesting. Rahmani Kulibali Jesus. All starting. As soon as I saw that, I'm like, what the fuck are Napoli trying to do here? It's something that we haven't seen them try out, man. I think it was necessary, to be honest, considering how thin they are up front at the moment, considering their Europa League clash with Barcelona took a lot, a lot out of, for example, Ozyman. I don't think Ozyman was ready to no, start this game. No, they actually that's utilized why I didn't, them. Eh? Yeah, they utilized them pretty well for him to come on and save a point mm-hmm. and Petania did a good job in the meantime we pointed out during the game that he was holding up play really well and obviously that's something he does is that the kind of striker that should be able to do that but his passing has really improved with it his has. back towards his, goal his hold up play has improved he, he, again he doesn't lose it up there he, he can p- pick out a man you know mm-hmm. just wait for his teammates that's very good but he's not mobile enough. No, no, he's not. He's not. He's, he's not, not mobile at all. Like you know, a pass, if the pass, if the ball isn't played to his feet, he, mm. he doesn't get it. Like Grima hit the nail on the head about Petania, where Petania needs to go to a team where the system is around him. Yeah. It's around having a a, a very very stationary yeah, striker. Very big he needs to fit a particular system. How much does he weigh? Fucking hell, eighty five kilograms. That's wrong. That's that that's a, that's before he opened his restaurant food chain. No, <laughs> I, I think he must be ninety. Oh, he must have a bunch of muscle. Yeah. We're out here talking, talking that. No, for trash, sure. But, but you can see the yeah. guy. He's built differently to everyone else. He's mm-hmm. bigger. He's slower. Yeah, he's yeah, stockier, yeah, yeah. You know, um, I know he gets a lot of criticism for it. Then when he's that one mm-hmm. week where he's like in good shape, he wakes up thin. You know, he takes a yeah, yeah, selfie, yeah, posts yeah, it on yeah. Instagram. He's like, where are the haters? <laughs> You, you know who I enjoyed in the 3-5-2 more than usual? Mm. Mario Rui. I feel he like pretty good, Rui man. always struggles defensively. And because of that, we just pinpointed him as a bad left back. And that's the area that Napoli need to improve. But the fact that he was running, the way he was running up and down, his distribution is good. His crossing is good. And, and in fact, we've seen him take free kicks from that side yeah. as well. And he's decent over there, man. I enjoyed him as a wing back. I'm telling you, a lot of the play went through him and Zielinski. On, on that left side, Jesus, mm. Zielinski, and Rui. A lot of the probably, play went down. Went probably Bellanova them. being caught out or like being tackled or, or something of the sort. Because Bellanova was wild, man, in this game. He was, he was yeah. running up, and I probably knew why I have this. I have this, this pussy in front of me. My <laughs> Rui, so I'm just going to attack the shit out of him. Um, it was a good game, man. To be honest with you, a p- pretty interesting one um, for Monday night. You know, yeah, uh, a good one. Um, I have to tell you as well, there were too many stoppages in the first half. Oh my! Like the second God. half was way better than the first. The first half was just you know start. It stop, was a start, game stop, of start. rugby, bro. It was, it was a game of rugby. You know, Di Lorenzo got concussed. He went down holding his head twice before they decided to yeah, fucking take yeah, him yeah. off. Just take him off, you know. The head injuries are a serious thing. But, um, I think, bro, my take on this is Napoli are lucky to get a point out of this one. Because in the first half, you know, you look at the first half, it was all Cagliari. You know, João Pedro was running wild, João especially Pedro in the first was 20 good. minutes. And he missed, at a point, Koulibaly pl- misplaced the pass. Uh-huh. Fell straight to João Pedro and he, he was pretty much one-on-one. He couldn't fucking mm. score it. But um, but they did they did pretty well, Collier. I think they should have they should have won. They should have ended this record of mm-hmm. um, twenty three games. Come to think of it, come to think of it, this game mirrors the Milan game very well. It does mirror it very well. A goalkeeping error. The team just seemed shaky in every department. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Napoli playing the game, playing the <coughs> Monday game at seven p.m. with only Bologna and Spezia left to play. All pressure was on them. They mm-hmm. all had it on their mind. So 
stage fright, I would say, for, for Napoli in the sense. And then Cagliari, obviously, nothing to lose. They're fighting and they're fighting and they're fighting. They don't want to get relegated. So it's a Sardinian team against a Southern team. So they smelt blood over there and it was a feisty one. For sure, but it's not to say that Cagliari, of course, were the worst side here. Of course, definitely not. They they had they outshot Napoli actually. They had five shots on target. Cagliari to Napoli's three, um, and they pretty much were up there in possession as well. They had forty seven percent ball possession. Cagliari, that's not bad. That's not, no, bad, not at bad at all. It's Napoli, you know, a side that typically dominates you. I, I would say that Cagliari, since the start of twenty twenty two, haven't really put a foot wrong, man. Yeah, definitely. Um, and we haven't even seen the return of Keita Balde yet. You know, he's on the bench, but he isn't bringing him on. I'm, I'm I not fucking sure. forgot about Keita Balde. In he, fact. he would be useful right now for them. Mm-hmm. Bro, uh, one guy I'd like to point out, Marin, when he came on, he was excellent. Yes. He, Marin was excellent when he came on. He often is that guy, man. He's so good. He's so good mm-hmm. for them. What do you think, bro, about Ozyman's 68 million price tag? Napoli bought Ozyman for 68 million. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Is he worth 68 million nowadays? Was he worth it back then? Sure, sure. Yeah, I think I think he's... Was it a good investment? Yes. I, I would say that Ozyman is up there with the, I would say, easily top five strikers in the league. I, I would put him in the top three um, alongside Dusan and Chiro. I would mm-hmm. say he's in the top three strikers of the league. Fair enough. On his day, he possibly causes more havoc than them yes. because he... Pesters, defenders, you know, the kind of striker that I he think is. He's more complete than probably, potentially both of them. Probably. Probably. Because he's, he's got striker, that pace to yeah, him as well, man. You deploy him up front on his own long balls and he's going to fucking mm-hmm. terrorize the back line. Yeah. You know? And then in front of goal, I would probably prefer to have Chiro or Duzan. Yes, yes. That's, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, I think I think seventy million for a young striker that's so complete and, and he's just a terrorist, man. Yeah, and <laughs> he, he he deserves that that price tag. I would say, despite his fucking tough start, man, he's been so good. You know, I mean, this guy joined Napoli. You know, he. He started scoring, you know, he got off to a good start, to be honest with you. But then he had that whole thing with COVID. Yeah, and the whole that party. Thing with his shoulder as well, mm-hmm. he had his injured shoulder. And then he broke his, his face, face, dude, like, Jesus, two years. Wow. In two years, he had the COVID scandal because he was partying in Nigeria. Mm. Granted, that's his fault. Yeah. Then he dislocated his shoulder and was sidelined for months due to complications. And apparently, there were there was talk that the, the doctors of the Nigeria national team aggravated the injury yeah. or something. <laughs> um, to be confirmed, I'm not even sure if mm. that was... Um, I think Ozyman said that that wasn't true, but of course he can ah, say that. Of course. And now, yes, breaking his face, Skriniar breaking his face, of course. But he's still scoring. He's wearing that mask, you know, he mm-hmm. and he's still Bear scoring. Bear in mind, Jake, it's, it's so difficult nowadays, especially in Italy, to sign a striker that just gets off the mark instantly and starts yes. performing. You see a lot of the strikers, a lot of the successful strikers, are signed by opposition Italian teams. The Vlaovic, the Piontex, as we discussed from Genoa to Milan. Even Immobile. Even Immobile. Okay, he traveled the world a little bit, but born and bred made in in Italy as a striker. But but (laughs) yeah, I think think that um, Ozyman is an exception to that. And and he came in, he had a bit of a slow season. Everyone's like, oh, we invested so much money in you. Shut up. Second season, just brilliant. One of the best strikers in the league. So I think he's definitely worth the seventh million. Bear in mind, he was coming from the French league and before that, the German league. Yeah, you know little, what I mean? A I was a 23-year-old boy, man. Yeah. 1998 he was born. So Napoli find themselves in third place, two points from the top, while Cagliari are in 18th place with 22 points on par with Venezia, who have a game in hand. 
So the next game we're going to be covering is Fiorentina 1, Atalanta 0. So as we mentioned earlier, Fiorentina are the only top 10 team this match day that managed to get away with a full 3 points. Massive for Italiano's side. <laughs> so Italiano's men have now won 3 out of 3 against Atalanta this season. Twice in the league and once in the Coppa. That, that's an insane record. Atalanta are probably the most difficult team to play against in the entire league. Um, coming into this game, Atalanta had won their last two away fixtures to the Nerazzurri. But before that, failed to win away at the Artemio Franchi in 18 matches. Muriel picked up an injury, meaning that Atalanta didn't have a single striker to start the match with Duvan Zapata out as well and, and Ilicic out at the moment as well. So, and they terrible sent news. Piccoli off to Genoa, where he hasn't even played a single game. They could have used him. Exactly, they could have definitely used him in this. Um, but Boga started instead and had a weird game. Um, in the 56th minute, Piontek converted after Gonzalez found him brilliantly with the outside of his boot. Perhaps Musso could have done better, but he didn't. In the 63rd minute, and then, so that was the only goal of the game, but in the 63rd minute, Malinowski volleyed into the back of the net in superb fashion, only to see his goal disallowed as Hatteber, who had nothing to do with anything, he had nothing to do with a play. He was on offside position and was deemed to have interfered with play. Absolute horseshit. Let's start off with that being the talking point. Yes. Um... The same. This was the same rule that was exercised to cancel Kessie's equaliser against Napoli um, for Milan back in... When was it? It I was in know. December, I believe, and Kessie had scored in the final moments exactly. of the game. Giroud was laying on the floor, having nothing to do he with the game. He didn't interfere with play, he didn't touch the ball, he wasn't blocking anyone's vision, but apparently, you know... He, he did intervene with play According to the referee's interpretation It was the same thing over here Ball over the top Long ball over the top Hatteber is in an offside position Blocking absolutely no one's side Absolutely no one the ball at all The ball falls to Malinowski Who is perfectly onside And he volleys at home as you mentioned And, and it gets disallowed And Gasparini goes up to the referee Calls him a motherfucker And gets sent <laughs> <off>. <laughs> I don't blame him I would have, I would have called him a motherfucker thing. as well man The injustice man Doveri and Massa I feel like they just meet up And touch dicks every week and just like, But yeah. I guess we're calling for consistency There's some consistency exactly. for us They're consistently shit Exactly Alright said. <laughs> yeah, that was that question. Eh? <laughs> it was like, Are referees really that bad? Yes. Okay, they're really bad. So that was injustice, and I do believe that Atalanta could and should have taken more from the game. And not only because of that, they did have a good game as well. Um, but I want to talk a bit about Fiorentina. Sotil and Nico Gonzalez looked incredible in place of Saponara and Callejon. These guys have options galore on the wing, man. Yes. Who do you and, choose? And Jonathan Icone. And Jonathan Oh my God, have Jonathan Icone as well. Who do you play? You know what I mean? Who do you play? Like, obviously, we're going to say Saponara yeah. starts. But when you have Sotil playing the way that he was playing, how could you not start him? Bro, that's the thing, right? You look at these names on paper, they're nothing special, you know? That's the thing. You look at Sotil, Saponara, it's not going to get your juices flowing, you mm. know what I mean? Mm. Um, but this guy, Italiano, with these players, is simply... How many points off of a, champ- of a Champions League spot? They have 42, you have 47. They're five points off. Yeah, five points. And they have a game in hand. Exactly. Five points off the Champions League spot with a game in hand. While a certain coach in Rome right now is complaining about his squad that it's not competitive enough at all. That's the difference. Good point. I guess, right? Um, you know, Italiano has these guys playing so well. 
Mm-hmm. So well, Nico Gonzalez now after the start he had the season, he's he's been incredible. He's been delicious. Sotil, Sotil as well looks so improved. You know, Piontek full flow. Torreira like like he's been here for five years. You know, um, Castrovilli I'm, I'm still not too keen on, and Bonaventura again in flashes. But mm-hmm. again, again, just overall a very strong. Side. I, I they one thing they have, and I can't stress on how much I like this about Fiorentina, is they have a great, great balance of young talent and experience, mm-hmm. and veterans. You know what I mean? Like the fact that you can replace Sotil and Gonzalez with with Callejon and uh, Saponara. That goes to show. First, the two wingers definitely have someone to learn from. Fucking Castro Villi can learn a thing or two from Saponara as well. Yeah, they Bonaventura and the team as well. And then they have young guys like Milenkovic. It's Martinez Quarta as well, obviously didn't play this game, but brilliant. We saw Dragovski back as well, who's a great young goalkeeper. A clean sheet against Atalanta, what a comeback. Hey, man. Hey, not Um, bad at all. Atalanta, man, though. You know... They they they're spread so thin at the moment with their injuries and their problems with their squad. Like they they have no options off the bench. They brought on Scalvini, Petzel, and Mahila. You know, yeah. apart from Pessina, who is yeah. actually good. They they've thinned out it seems um, at Atalanta. They need to make some signings, but thankfully for them, they they've just uh, got a new co-owner to them, Stephen Paliuka. Oh yes, um, of course. He he is the um, co-owner of Boston Celtics as well. A lot of money. Over there, and he's acquired 55% of Atalanta, which now places the club's value at around 500 million euros. Um, the Percassi brothers have, have maintained their 45%. Um, the running of the club is totally up to them. I mean, Paluka said that they've done a great job taking the team from a newly promoted side to a, a top seven team, you could say a, a top four team until this season. But it is worrying times right now for Atalanta, um, at least for the remainder of the season. The, their last Serie A win was six matches ago. Yes, January yes. 9th against Udinese. Three draws and two losses since. That's, you know, that's a free fall if I've ever seen one. While Juventus have three draws and two victories in their last five, which isn't incredible. It's but not it convincing enough, either. It was enough to leapfrog them, you know. Um, yeah, so I think, I think Juventus are in the driver's seat right now, definitely. Yeah. So I wouldn't say a loss for Atalanta against Fiorentina is horrific or the worst that could have happened to the team. So let's just remember what Fiorentina have done this season. They've also put four past Milan. They have, no, yes, for sure. But with the loss of Vlaovic, you would think that they're a weak inside and that Atalanta could could get a point against them. But Atalanta also didn't have a striker in play. I don't know how long Muriel is out for, but they'll be hoping to get him back sooner rather than later. How do they solve that in the time being? Say Muriel is out for a month, for example. How do they solve that? They're going to keep playing Malinovsky and Boga up front. What's going to happen? I have absolutely no idea, bro. They so have, glad have, we're not in that situation. They have Mahaila, I guess. They brought in from Parma, who can play as a striker, who mainly plays as a striker, to be honest. I guess they might want to squeeze him in. Um, or maybe they want to squeeze in Diego Costa. Yeah. Calling the shots here. Another um. another Petania-esque player, I think. <laughs> Um, Coop Miners again had a decent game but missed such a good opportunity at one oh, point. Oh man, it was clean through on goal, clean through on goal. I was disappointed. Yeah, I was very disappointed. Um, but yeah, I mean, Atalanta find themselves in fifth place. They're only one point ahead of Lazio now. I mean, Atalanta do have a game in hand, but just putting that into perspective is fucking crazy. Uh, 
Fiorentina 7th and they're two points behind Atalanta. Mental. Yeah. So the next game was the 247th edition of the Derby della Mole. Um, Torino 1, Juventus 1. I love this derby, man. I love this it's derby. It's a great one. Um, go read Mittul's article, as we always say. <laughs> um, Juve's two-game winning streak comes to an end. Um, Torino have only won one of the last 32 Derby della Moles in Serie A. The last time Torino beat Juve was 2-1 in 2015. Coming into this game, Juventus faced... This was a, these were just two interesting stats I decided to, to save, bro. Um, coming into this game, Juventus faced the most shots from outside the box in 2022. Not with, surprised with their with, lack of a target, man. Yeah. With with 50... They, no, they faced, they faced. Oh, they faced. Yeah. Sorry, my bad. Exactly. They faced 50 and they conceded three from that distance. Only Spezia have conceded more from outside the area with five. Oh, wow. Interesting. Interesting stat. Mm-hmm. Perhaps, I don't know, they're targeting Chesney as a weak Probably. Maybe, or is just, you know, the fact that their defence is so um, formidable with the likes of Kelly. They're probably fucking scared, scared of the defence, literally. Um, and Torino have yet to be awarded a penalty this season. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. You know, whoever took Torino's penalty taker on fancy football. Uh, Belotti, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, play-by-play uh, play in the 13th minute, Delict, the king of the mole, um, <laughs> scored... A header from a corner it was a towering header, you know, very good. And a quadrado assist. Yeah. That's his second game goal in two games against Torino. Wow. And in the 62nd minute, Bellotti scored an equalizer after some lovely work by Bracal on the left hand side. And he crossed in a great ball to Bellotti, who volleyed it home. I love Bellotti when he scores, man. You know, he, he's so he, hype, man. He instantly, you know, the second the ball hits the back of the net, his hand goes to his forehead <laughs> and starts wiggling instantly before he even gets up. Literally, like, literally, yeah. literally, yeah. Bellotti's I hype, love that man. Celebration. He's cool. hype as fuck. It's good to see him back, man. And, and scoring in the Derby della Mole, what better way for Definitely. a comeback? Um, both teams tried for a winner late on, but couldn't find one, um, unfortunately mm-hmm. for them. Now, um, I'm going to go on, on a bit of a rant over here, bro, about Vlaovic. Okay. And it's not what, you know, it's not an agey opinion, unlike these journalists. Okay. As we have been relentlessly reminded by these journalists in Italy, Vlaovic hasn't scored in 350 something minutes or whatever the fuck that statistic is. Um, I can explain why, why that's very stupid to mention. Um, one second, this is a narrative that they created, these journalists. Mm-hmm. These journalists, you know, they see the news, they, they go on their laptops and they write... Sensation. Oh, exactly. They're like, oh, Vlaovic has joined Juve. Can Juve push for the league? I think they can. With Vlaovic there, this, this, this and this can happen and they can win the league. The next game, they don't win and they're like, oh, Vlaovic didn't score here. They can't win the league. Is he disappointing them? Is he a flop? They're in their like, own head, man, they're, almost. They're fighting. They're, they're getting upset because their own storylines weren't fulfilled by Facts. professional football Well done. Players. That's a fucking great analogy, man. You know, like, what the fuck are they doing, man? Cut him some slack. He's a 22-year-old guy who joined Juve, scored how many goals since? Two in the league, and he just scored one in the Champions League on his debut 30 seconds in. What the fuck are you going to write about that now? You know, give him, give him some time, man. He's fine. He's um, fine there. Bear in mind, he hasn't had the easiest fixtures as well. You know what I mean? This is the Derby della Mole, man. He had people fucking that soon, the second he got the ball, Bremer was on his ass the entire, That's entire time. Opponent, That's a tough motherfucker in Bremer, man. One of the best centre-backs in the league and he will be at one of the title-challenging teams next season. Hopefully Bremer. not. Inter- Apparently Bayern Munich has shown interest in Bremer. Nice. Well, I don't but want yes, to leave the league, but fuck on, it. on the note of Lovic as well, it's, it's obvious that, you know, Am I saying that Vlaovic will score the same amount of goals he scored at Fiorentina? No, definitely not. 
because the style of play that Allegri plays, that Allegri it'll take him a couple of seasons to get to where he was at Fiorentina. Exactly. Maybe mean, less because he's Vlaovic. I mean, under Allegri, probably he won't even hit fucking twenty goals a season. You know what I mean? Mm. Well, he might, but but that's not the type of play Allegri prioritizes. Allegri is very pragmatic. He's very you know, we get the three points. No matter yeah. what, it doesn't need to be sexy. Mm-hmm. We get the three points. While Fiorentina, Italiano ball is all about like chances, chances, chances. Exactly. Pressing, pressing, exactly. pressing cross, 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 shoot, pass, patterns. You know all that stuff. So yeah, that's that's my my rant. Ah, yeah, you hit you hit the nail on the head, man. Come on, I mean it's been what two three games since Vlaovic yeah. has scored in the league. Like shut up. And I love I love ripping on Juve, but this is just unfair. No, it know? is. It is straight up, straight up. Yes. They have they have potentially the the biggest talent. In the league, the biggest young talent in the league. They have a couple of them. They have Vlaovic and Kiez. Obviously, Kiez are obviously recovering from an ACL at the moment. Um, but they have a they have a bright future ahead of them. Their maneuver. Definitely. Um, and as people are quick to highlight how Vlaovic has been disappointing, um, they don't highlight that Delict has improved significantly. For example, exactly under, under Allegri, you know, Delict not not only because he's scored, even defensively, he's been he's been sound. No, he's been he's few. been he's been very good, man. Over over Much the past than like, the start of the season, I, mm. I would say from January onwards, Delict yeah. has been has been really good. And bear in mind, like in this game, he played alongside Alexandro at centre back. You know what I mean? It's not like he you know he afforded to make any errors because there was Chiellini or Bonucci who could organize the defense and make him play better or whatever. He led the line, Delict, in the Derby della Mole. He was yeah. leading the line over there, and that was the first one. To say that he's been their flop of the season and, and all this fucking bullshit that I speak. <laughs> but he's improved. And it's significant. But they're... they're like you said, literally, I, I, I can't say it any better. They're, they're focused on Vlaovic because he's the new hot guy in town. And, and they're, they're, they're totally yeah. ignoring that young talent in Delict at centre-back. Bullshit. Horse wank. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Asked it. No, and, and we, we're the same guys who said that he's one of the most overrated players in the league at the beginning of the season. But to be honest with but you... But didn't his performances mirror yes, that at exactly. the time? Well, that's what it. are we going to say? No, but that's he's going to be good, so that's he's... It. But uh, you just need to be objective, right? If he's playing well, highlight it. That's exactly. It. That's the role of us couch viewers, you know? That's it. <laughs> now, um, massive, massive shout-out to Lukic and Mandragora, who were absolutely phenomenal. Wow. The majority of possession that Torino had went through them they dominated to be honest with them if you see the touches they took they they took a significant amount of touches more than anyone else on the pitch to be honest like like if you look at Juventus's midfield um if this is these are percentages yes so you look at Locatelli had for example five percent of the ball possession in the game you look at Mandragora he had eight and you look at Lukic he had 7.4 Rabiot had two and Zakaria had two as well (laughs) 2.8 Now, that's that's absolutely crazy. You know, what a dominant display by Mandragora and Lukic. Um, also, Brekalo has been improving rapidly as well. Brekalo has cross been and incredible. That technique that he displayed on the goal was was very good. I also want to highlight, bro, Ricardo Rodriguez as a left centre-back. This is what needed to happen in his career. Probably, possibly a couple of years ago. Uh-huh, too, earlier. Milan, I think he should have already been transitioning. He didn't quite have the pace... To play as a left back, as a modern left back, at least mm-hmm. you know, if this was in the eighties, he would have been probably one of the better yeah, ones. Yeah, yeah, you yeah know? definitely. His defensive awareness and his um, technique with his left foot is a very interesting combination. But then he doesn't have the pace to actually charge up and down mm-hmm. the, the pitch. But, but he, like this, it gives him a bit more liberty. Like when Milinkovic Savic has the ball, for example, then then Rodriguez drops out wide a lot. 
And over there, the second he gets the ball and, and, and he's on that left foot, he could distribu distribute the ball to Voivoda, who's an absolute train yeah. down the left-hand side. And also defensively, he's, he's tough, Rodriguez. I think there are certain improvements that could be made, probably won't be made because he's reaching the, the not the end of his career, but he's, he's matured to his full capabilities, I would say. Yeah. Like, for example, I would hope that it's better in the air. For example, that, that's a place he could be better. But his tackling is good. He's good with standing tackles. He's good at sliding tackles. He can distribute the ball well. I think he's a good fit for this Torino team in particular. A ball-playing centre-back with a three in the back is important. Yes, you need, yes, to, yes, you need sure. to be able to distribute the ball. And he advances, you know, he shoots every now and then. He can take set pieces as well. He's a pretty mm. dangerous. He's a useful player to have. And I'm happy that Juric is making the most out of his yeah. time. He appreciates him as a player. Mm -hmm. But anyway, let's move on to something different. So the midfield today that started um, was Rabio, Locatelli, Zakaria. Not bad, not bad, but not dominant. As we said, Mandragora and Lukic looked way more dominant mm -hmm. in the middle of the park. Do you think that Zakaria, Arthur, Locatelli would be a better midfield three? I wouldn't even say Arthur. But Arthur is a regista. He has Arthur, qualities. Arthur would fit in better than Rabio. But I'm talking, you push Locatelli as a mezzala on the left. Mm -hmm. You deploy Arthur as a regista and you keep Zakaria as a box-to-box -box on the right. That's better. Yeah. That's better. But I still think if there's one thing that they like... Well, to be honest, no. You're right. You're right. Because they got Zakaria for that box-to-box -box yeah. with balls role. And they have McKenny as well. Who's so I would agree. They can for the majority of mm -hmm. Like, I would like to see McKenny there. But, but Zakaria kind of directly replaces him. So scratch that. I would say that Arthur would be a better a, a better uh, fit than Rabiot in, yeah. in this team. But I guess, I think so too. like we highlighted many a times, rotation needs to needs to take place. Yes. And do you think that Pellegrini is a long-term solution at left-back for Juve? Do you think they need to bring someone in? He's not a bad player at all, but by any means. you know, He's, he's not going to start anytime soon. He's not going to start anytime soon. He needs a couple more seasons, I would say. Yeah, but he's kind of getting the go-ahead right now, you know? Alexandro, this game, by the way, guys, was a was a makeshift centre back because of a last second Rugani injury. I forgot to mention that. It's a big. No worries. I, I got point. you covered, bro, and said that the Licht led the line. Oh, yeah. um, but uh, Pellegrini, I think Juve would be keen on a left back. I don't think that they'd be starting, or, you know, preferably they would get someone else before mm -hmm. trusting Pellegrini fully with that, with that left Quite back true. role. Bear in mind, they trusted Alexandro for a long time. It's recently that he's kind of fallen off a little bit. Um, so I think I think they'll try to get someone in and at least fight for his place with Pellegrini. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, I wouldn't even be surprised if they loaned out Pellegrini and kept Sandro on someone. Like they did last season. No, wasn't he at Cagliari last season? Cal Cagliari, Genoa. Genoa. But first it was Cagliari and he played well. Then they loaned him out to Genoa and he never played for some reason. He went back to Juve and he's playing. So he's how not playing for Genoa, he's playing for Juve. I don't understand how this how It's probably a political dispute. Yeah. Um, but anyway... Yes, the, the standings, very quickly. I wonder why I don't write them down. I always forget. Now, <laughs> Juve sit in fourth with 47 points, three points clear of Atalanta, while Torino sit in the 10th spot with 33 points. The next game we're going to be covering is Roma 2, Verona 2. So coming into this game, Roma had won five of their last seven encounters against Verona, but lost their most recent encounter, three goals to two. Roma are also unbeaten at home in 24 matches against Verona, their last loss coming in 1973. Whoa. So, in the fifth minute, a clever free kick routine by Verona saw Faraoni sneak in a run down the right-hand side and was found by Caprari just outside the area. 
The Italian wingback's cross was palmed away by, by Patricio, but only as far as Anthony Barak who rifled the ball to the back of the net. A quick start once again for Hellas, who love getting that early goal in. And a lovely routine as well, seeing Faroni sneak down, pretending to, you know, yeah. miss hit the free kick and, and just walk off. Really sneaky and it definitely it caught Roma off yeah, guard. They out Roma Roma. Exactly. In the 20th minute, a good ball by Illich found Caprari, who cut the ball back to Tamez, who beat Patricio with a powerful strike. It was then the 65th minute where Roma got one back, after Veretout's corner was dealt with poorly by Barak, as the ball rolled straight to 18-year-old substitute Volpato, whose first-time strike beat Montepo. Um, possibly Montepo could have Should done have better done over there, however there was a lot of you know bodies blocking the ball. Which definitely impeded his vision. It was definitely the second goal where he could have done 100% better. In the 84th minute, another very two corner was whipped into the box and palmed away well by Montepo, but only as far as Eduardo Bove, another 19-year-old substitute, who managed to cunt the ball into Montepo's near post, which should have definitely been covered. We saw him trying to put the blame on the centre-backs. Centre-backs put the blame directly back onto Montepo, yeah. who ended up collapsing to the ground, holding his face. Safe to say he understands that Montepo has been insane in the past few games, particularly the last one, but let his team down slightly over here. Mourinho was sent off shortly after he grabbed the ball, kicked it in the air, and he accused the referee for bribery. The referee's father was also a referee, um, and he was involved in that whole Calciopoli scandal with Juve in the 2000s. Um, obviously, Mourinho doesn't shy away from saying something like that, which subsequently got he him told sent him off. that Juve sent him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the, of course, he'll get a ban for that, like a three-game ban, I would imagine. I think so, because at the end of the day, that's an accusation. Yes, like, it is. It's, it's not nice. But classic, no? Classic, classic, classic Roma relying on set pieces over here, right? To get you have goals. such an agenda and against it's them. Because I, I have never been this right about anything in my life, It's bro. true, it's true, it's like, true. All they do is score from set pieces, these guys. Mm-hmm. You know? And this time they had to bring on two children to do it <laughs> because their fucking players are so, I don't know, lethargic, what would you call them, uninspired? I would say so. Demoralized. They had to bring on in that youthful flair, you know. Shout out to those kids, of course. Fantastic, fantastic stuff. Um, their names Bove and Volpato, of course. Yes. If, if there's one thing we can say about Mourinho is that he does get the best out of young players. He does tend to discover these young talents. At United, he had McTominay, for example. Of course, but who did he fight with for McTominay to get the starting spot? Was it Pogba? Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, he always ditches the starters. He always falls yeah. off, with, falls out with the with the starters, and is almost forced to give these talents a chance. But to his credit, yes, they they do. He tends to discover quite a few players. For sure, for sure. And interesting to see Veretout didn't start this game. Obviously, we spoke recently that that Mourinho isn't his number one fan. He's no longer in his plans. However, the second Veretout comes on, you know what I mean? Not exactly two assists, but two corners that led to goals. Yeah, he's a, he's a good dead ball specialist. You I know, don't know how he... I mean, that's why he got Oliveira, because, you know, he got, he got, a, he got a more progressive Veretout, you might say, that's over true. there, the dead ball specialist. Still can't whip them in like, like Veretout does. Do you think he'll be able to resist the temptation of starting Veretout for that very reason, or will he be that jolly to bring on? Um, I think he'll keep Veretu as an option to bring on. I think he appreciates Cristante's Cristante's efforts in the middle, and he can't really play Oliveira and Veretu together. I think. So no, I no. think that double pivot 
Oliveira, Cristante, maybe, maybe drop Pellegrini back alongside Oliveira and play Mkhitaryan ahead of him when they're... Yes, when also an option. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, yes, I think Veretu will get phased out slowly. It seems, seems to be what's happening anyway. I agree. So, Mourinho clearly isn't going to get sacked this season. I don't think they'll sack him by, by the end of this yeah. season. I think it would be foolish to keep him off for this long just to sack him um, before the season comes to an end. Will they keep him for another full season is the question. Now, coming into this season, I remember watching an interview with Mourinho where he said that this is not something that's going to guarantee instant success, this project at Roma. He said this is a four-year thing. Mm-hmm. You know, He said this is a long-term thing. They're investing their trust in me. We're going to make a few signings. We're going to develop the team together, change some things around. So if what they have planned is still in fruition, then he should be continuing. But I'm not sure if he's burnt too many bridges along the way. In That's, my opinion, uh-huh. he probably has. You know, um, I think that he's fallen out with too many players. For example, he's been out of line with the players telling them they have no balls. Mm, that's that's just and all that stuff. He he puts the blame on the management as well on the on the ownership of the club. He's always pointing his fucking weird finger. His weird finger. His weird finger. <laughs> Maybe Roma should go for it to door. That's not a bad shout if they just you know send Pellegrini over to the other side and 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 have a chat to with Tudor. You know what I mean? Yeah. That'd be fucking lit on Or Urich, man. Wow. Or Urich. Urich or Tudor. That's those are well Tudor not at the time, but they they could have gone for Urich. But of course Mourinho is kind of a statement. You know, you bring in Mourinho, you're bringing in a big name at the end he's, of the day. No matter Gucci, how much he's is, Armani, exactly. he's he's all of those. You know what I mean, Jose exactly. Mourinho. And I'm sure it had something to do with, for example, Abraham mm-hmm. arriving. And but when, when, for example, when it comes to domestic success, when's the last time Mourinho has had it? Like he had an entire project at Spurs. Like all right, Spurs can be horse wank. Um, and then he, he had the the spell at United where he got close, well, not close, he, he got he, them to second the on Europa like the final League, match yeah. day and he won the Europa League. But domestically, do you see him? Let's say they do give him three years. Will he get them anywhere? Now, obviously, we can't look, look look into the future for three years and and all that. But I have I do feel like I have kind of lost faith as Mourinho, in Mourinho as a manager nowadays. Mm-hmm. In the 21st century. Yes. You know what I mean? I, I tend to agree with you, bro, there. Um, I'm not sure I would take that risk. If I were Roma right now, maximum, I'd give him another half a season, see how they're doing. Worst case, I sack him halfway through. Like, fuck it. You know? It depends on what they're, like, obviously, first thing they do is they, they establish a short-term goal and a long-term goal. Yeah. It has to be remotely be, met. It would be refreshing if they held on to him. To be mm-hmm. honest, but the the nature of football and and you know the way employment works in the sport, mm-hmm. probably he's not gonna get four years. Like I, f- I feel for him because the past few teams he was at, so United, Tottenham, and Roma. For each of them, he said he sees a long, long career with them. <laughs> Man just wants to settle down. You know what I mean? He's in his late fifties now. He wants to take the family to Rome and and live there for the next five, six years, guarantee success, retire a happy man. And do what the fuck he wants, but it's not really working out for him recently. Man, he's been he's been getting a lot of stick, and to be honest, it doesn't help himself with how he handles the media, for example, mm-hmm. how he speaks about himself or his colleagues and his teammates. Yeah. So that's Roma's problem. Yes, 
You know what I mean? Meanwhile, Verona are lit. Meanwhile, Verona are insane. They always start the game off quick. They always keep the same energy throughout the 90 minutes. They have players like Barak, Caprari, Illich, Tamez, Faroni, who are just insane. Montepo <laughs> had a bit of a bad performance over here, but he's a great goalkeeper. He's been playing great for, for the entirety for Mont- of the I season. I worry about Montepo, man. Sometimes I'm up at night, you know, I can't sleep and I'm thinking about Montepo, man. I had seen, <laughs> I had seen an interview with, with him where he was What's like, wrong, um, man? I'm happy that Verona have given me the chance after... Benevento got relegated because he was a Benevento, remember? Mm-hmm. Um, he was like, I just hope that I can prove that I am a goalkeeper that's capable of playing at this level, you know, and I hope that I could stay and prove myself here at okay, Verona. So Where his heart out, yes, very refreshing. And, and, and at this point, you look at this Verona team and you look at the positions that can be improved. Montepo is one of those positions that can be improved. Uh-huh, but- he makes, he's a good keeper. But he has mistakes. I get what you mean. I get what you mean. Like, if you're looking at the starting 11 now, what can be improved, then, then it's obviously the goalkeeper. But, mm-hmm. but when you do take into consideration how he was rated before, the shoes he was filling in, obviously they had Silvestri beforehand, and, and it was that, that triple move that saw Musso go to Atalanta and um, Silvestri go to Udinese, and they inherited Montepo. And at the end of the day, I would safely say the season... They didn't get the short end of the stick with that with that triple swap because he's been good and he's he's outperformed mm-hmm. how he should have performed, but not how he should have performed, but how he was expected to, to perform. Yes, yes, rather, it's, it's true, it's true. I'm being a bit harsh here, of course. Twenty six years old for a goalkeeper yeah, that's, that's young. fucking young. That's young. He's a baby. Mm-hmm. No, he's he's been he's been really good for them. Um, but yeah, Ver- Verona, they keep on impressing me time and time again. I do think that they are the most likely candidates to get that top 10 spot. Yeah, probably. Well, they're um, ninth. They, have, know, a, they have a fair. European dream, no? Yeah, well, do they really? You know, you know what I mean? 37 points. I mean... They could get Conference League. Yeah, that's the thing. But they need yeah. to get past Roma and Fiorentina. And Lazio. No, for Conference League, just Roma and Fiorentina, I believe. But Fiorentina are only one point behind Lazio, so they're there. They're in the same. That's it's true. A battle, you know? That's true. That's true. I, anyway. I guess. I guess. So yeah, Roma find themselves in eighth place, two points behind Lazio. Verona are in ninth, four points behind Roma. Now on the other side of Rome, <laughs> Lazio. same transition as last week. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, no, we're very original over here. <laughs> yeah. All the way to what was it? For, what have we said again? Um, all the way to Sardinia now for yeah. <laughs> No, Udinese won, Lazio won. Now, Lazio... Just when we thought, huh? Just when we started just, believing. Yeah. Just when we started believing. <laughs> Lazio have won 10 of their last 15 games against Udinese, keeping 10 clean sheets. Not today, okay? Typically, this is a standard win for Lazio. It's weird, you know? For example, Milan struggles so much with Udinese when Lazio seem to really... Man, they're playing them off Everyone right has or... their bogey team. Mm-hmm. But anyway... Udinese have now avoided defeat in three of their last four matches, a fantastic feat for them. Lazio are unbeaten in their last five league games, which is also impressive. They were, this is an interesting one, Um, Lazio could have made it their fifth consecutive Serie A clean sheet for the fourth time in their history. They had three three 3-0 wins in those five matches, crazy. Lazio missed out on the opportunity, of course, to close the gap from the top four to just two points. Um, Sarri said that had it not been for their European commitments, um, they would be challenging for Champions League. Not only would they be challenging, he said they would be in that that fourth 
in that top four, basically. Mm, interesting. Um, do I agree? Potential. We'll see. <laughs> now, um, play by play. In the fifth minute, Deo Lefeu scored due to a cross that came in from the left-hand side by... New in Paris. New in pa- no, it was New in Paris who headed it down for Deo Lefeu. I forgot who gave the original cross. Mm. Um, in the 45th minute, Felipe Anderson scored thanks to a Mattia Zaccani assist. It was Cataldi who whipped in a free kick from the right-hand side. Zaccani headed it across the face of goal, so pretty much an identical goal. And Felipe Anderson guided it into the back of the net. Okay, A well-needed goal for Anderson, to be honest. He's been, he's been quite off lately. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting things to point out Makengo at a point could have made the 2-0 for Udinese But he missed an open net He mishit it and skied it um, And Molino struck the crossbar with what was potentially Not potentially, sir Which was practically the last kick of the game My It God. was super dramatic, you know, the crowd would have, Ooh, <laughs> crazy um, Lazio were dispossessed 12 times Things weren't really ticking for them this game Um and Shoffi said at the end of the game, we will find the luck that we lacked against Lazio, against Milan. Oh God, oh God, oh God. Oh God, oh God, not again, man. <laughs> not again, man. Keep Rodrigo Bacau away from me. Get fucking Beto away from me, man. The guy Becau fucking... always scores against Milan. It's true. Always. His weird fucking face, man. <laughs> What's wrong with his face, man? I don't know, man. It's just weird. Yeah, he looks, he looks a bit... So for me Udinese It's that midfield Of Makengo Wallace And Arslan They're very good together They are They they complement each other nicely Mm -hmm. They are Udinese In my my opinion They're the heart and soul Of the team And I enjoy watching them Play together man Yeah the heart and soul Of the team nowadays Of course it's nothing Compared to the days of um, My beloved Seko Fofana And Rodrigo De Paul Of course that was a team For sure But it has to say That this Udinese Are less player dependent and you know they actually work as a unit and they can play up to their opponent and they can play pretty well I don't think they were ever really in contention for relegation they had a great start to the season now they're kind of picking up a little bit again after mm-hmm. a few a few dips in form look look at this fuck up what? it says there that Cabral came on for no 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 that's actually by the way a player they have on loan from Sporting his name is Cabral he's 23 years old I'm not sure if they have an option on him but he's pretty good he was pretty wasteful this game, to be honest. But overall, he's, he's, okay. he's like a promising. Okay. I thought it was a fuck up. No, no, no. It's, it's. I was ready to call out who scored and everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, in my opinion here, a one-one is a fair result, to be honest with you. Um, I'm not even sure if there's much else to say about this game, man. I mean, I I was slightly disappointed here with with Lazio because obviously they're on a they're on a run of great form, but Udinese do tend to be. That kind of team that can cause an upset, you know what I mean? The, the previous fixture, and this was a 4-4 thriller. Yeah, 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 I forgot about You remember that? that? So, I mean, both sides would have been cautious. None of them wanted to concede for, again, over here. There was probably that that mentality. Um, Sarri facing Udinese for the second time this season. Choffi facing Lazio for the first time this season. So, interesting to see over there. I mean, players I can I can point out and say that they had a good performance. Cataldi had a yeah. had a surprisingly good game. We saw that that Luis Alberto didn't start the game again. I don't know if he was injured he or was suspended. Out, out, I believe because he didn't feature at all, so he must have been out. Interesting. Um, Savage had a very good game. Obviously, we haven't even mentioned That's that Immobile didn't play. Yeah, man. Immobile didn't play. You're right. Um, Felipe Anderson started as a striker and actually scored. You know, but. A lot of work is done 
by the men who flank him actually you know yeah. Pedro and Zakani they have been two breakout players this season now mm-hmm. granted of course breakout players Pedro's a well decorated player and Zakani had a fantastic season at Rome at Verona sorry mm-hmm. but but they have been working very well together especially with when Immobile is there in the middle you know a fantastic trio over there yeah do you think this is the height of Zakani's career or do you think he has another big move left in him So Zakani is 26 years old. Mm, I think he might have what it takes for another even greater step. The guy's magic, man. He's good. He's very very good as a player, I have to say. Um so I I wouldn't say that this is his peak, no. Nice. I would say he hasn't peaked yet. I agree. I'd love to see him at Milan one day, man. But for some reason I see him going to Inter or Juve. On, on the left Milan are sorted, my friend. Yeah. Hafa hafa. We go, we go, we go. <laughs> But anyway, bro. Um shall we move on because we're pressed? Yep. Um yes. <laughs> uh, I'm not editing this out because I want everyone exactly. to see this. I always write it down at the end of my takes and you don't you say yeah. opening serial table. Yeah, one day we'll we'll make merch <laughs> about this. So Lazio sit in sixth with 43 points, while Udinese sit in 16th with 25 points as if i need Smooth to talk operator. as if i need to talk about bologna and spezia in one go kill me um <laughs> next game we're going to be covering is the last game of match day 26 um, not the last game of this episode but the last game of match day 26 Ah yes yes yes. Okay. Why are you looking at me like I'm a fucking? <laughs> no, I was trying to understand cool. what the hell you were saying. But It was right. played This on was Monday the, the last... at at 9 yeah. p.m. Yeah. Yeah. Um So Bologna won two one. Uh, both sides were coming off losses and both sit at the bottom half of the table, but obviously very different parts of it. Bologna looking to break into the top 10 and Spezia looking to avoid relegation. Uh, Bologna are unbeaten in Serie A against Spezia in all four of their encounters, winning. Three and drawing once. This puts Bologna alongside Fiorentina and Verona as clubs who Spezia have faced four or more times without earning a single win. So a bit of a bogey team, mm-hmm. really. However, since last December, Bologna are the team with the most defeats in Serie A as they lost seven of their last 11 matches and coming into this game, they won just one out of their last nine. A win for Spezia in this game would have also meant that they would leapfrog Bologna in the table so Spezia wanted this they would have wanted this so in the opening moments of the match Daniel Everde forced a fine save from Skorupski Arnautovic smacked the crossbar viciously from outside the area Arnautovic was looking really active and and, and he, he really wanted it from the get-go his groin yeah <laughs> I'm gonna get to that um, in the 11th minute Reka super cross found the head of Manai who converted with a powerful header miscommunication here between Theat and Binks who didn't put up a challenge against the Albanian forward Whatsoever, they both blamed each other. Great to see. In the 40th minute, Barrow's disguised pass fell to Arnautovic, who provided a clean and experienced finish into the keeper's far corner after timing his run to perfection. Lovely, lovely, lovely. In the 84th minute, so quite late on, Arnautovic grabbed his second of the night with a true striker's header, I would call this, after the ball was crossed in well by Sansone, who found the Austrian totally unmarked and unchallenged. I say a true striker's header because you know how it is. 
defenders have to hit the ball upwards, attackers need to hit the ball down yeah, to the ground. Yeah. He did that perfectly. He had time and he utilized this it. This was a brilliantly. fantastic display by Arnautovic, it has to be said. He really loves those runs. He's quite an unorthodox kind mm-hmm. of striker, man. Um, they, they play the ball low on the ground, kind of like to his left or to his right. Like mm. He does a sideways run. He does uh, run uh, it's a bit like and when Rebic plays striker, he yeah, does something kind similar. Of similar. Right? And, and he often shoots on the turn instantly. Exactly. He's exactly. very fun to watch. Um, I had him on fantasy football. 100%. He won me the week on, on a Monday night. Ooh, nice. Um, against Grima. So shout Ooh. out Grima. I, I play him next. Um, I have a note here saying Mirko looked fucked going into halftime. Yes, yes, he looked absolutely. Everyone nice. went in like, and he was just on the floor like crawling, man. <laughs> he looked a mess, and then he, he came out and scored in the eighty fourth minute. So he played the entire ninety, and you know he hit the crossbar, scored twice. He was definitely the reason Bologna won the match. This was definitely a cagey affair. In fact, Barrow was substituted because he had an inflamed foot and ankle, like. <laughs> So he was just playing through the pain, according to my My opinion. God. Yeah. Now, before this match, Bologna hadn't scored in three matches. However, Arnautovic is the only Bologna player that has scored against Spezia this season. So their past victory was... The past match was a 1-0 uh, victory for Bologna, away from home against Spezia. And that goal was scored by Arnautovic. And now they won 2-1 and Arnautovic scored both goals. Pretty crazy. Spezia fans must wake up screaming in the middle of the night at the thought of Arnautovic. <laughs> exactly. Uh, this was a fun game, though, man. It was, it was. I enjoyed watching it. Nice nice way to end a, a yeah. very weird Monday. You know, Mondays are always weird. Um, they played a 3-4-3. Something interesting is, okay, they always play with three at the back, but they really shift around. They play 3-5-2, they play 3-4-2-1, they play 3-4-1-2, and they play 3-4-3 this time. And, and when asked about it, Mihailovic said, the boys were good in this formation. Since I arrived, we have always been an attacking team, which was going to attack the game and not suffer it. Obviously, guys, bear in mind the translation is a bit weak over here. But this year, after the defeat at Empoli, we had to change because I no longer had the support of the four forwards. And in every game, I risked losing it. We changed form, formation in this case, put in one more defender and one less striker and we scored 27 points. Then it stopped working, even like that, because we were defending, but we still conceded goals without making ourselves dangerous, and then we changed again, trying to be more aggressive. During the week, enthusiasm and confidence returned, and the boys gave maximum availability. And we deservedly won. I do think that Bologna deserved the win over here. Mm. Um, That statement made by Mihailovic, to be honest, is, is quite accurate. I would say that... The second something doesn't work out with Bologna, it's changed and it's he amended. Does, he does tweak to, to his... Um, Very much so. Like, he deserves praise for that. But it's as good as it is bad. You, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's good that he's trying to salvage what he can from the squad. But also, there has to be the sense of, of one system in play that oh, works okay. and, and then identity, a plan B and plan you know, C. He said that their identity is offensive football, an offensive brand that's adaptable to different formations. But yeah, yeah, fine, fair enough. But like, you're not gonna get consistent results with that, you know. Um, also, you have you have a problem. For example, in this formation, you're playing Soriano in a mm. double pivot alongside Shout. And granted, he was alright. He lost the ball uh, a bit stupidly at a point. But um, Soriano's an attacking midfielder that yeah. does very well behind the striker. You know, yeah. he kind of 
wasting him over here. They're gonna get caught out with with uh, playing one of their two center midfields like that. Mm-hmm. You know, you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, they definitely need someone a bit more of a box to box or a bit of a deep lying midfielder. Um, one guy that I'd like to point out is obviously Hickey. Hickey, I, I think man, we, we've wow. spoken about him a lot yeah. this uh, this season. Um, he completed more dribbles and won more ground duels than any other player against Spezia ever. Like he had two completed dribbles and six ground duels, one which is obviously very impressive for a for a young left winger, left wing back rather in Aaron Hickey. Now, how big of a win is this for Bologna, judging that they've been struggling so much? I mean, it's a big win, but in reality, Bologna are one of those teams right now that people must like have a sigh of relief when they when they look at the table and see that they're their next fixture. Because you're looking at a team here that they're they're competing for that tenth spot. You know, they're not really fighting for Europe. They're not really fighting to avoid relegation. So they don't really have anything that they're really fighting for. That's true. Right. That's now. true. Um, it's them and Empoli are kind of in the same position right now. I'd say they're two of the easier fixtures right now. Spezia, we've seen, can have some bite in them. In mm-hmm. this game, it almost happened again. They yeah. almost lucked out again, bro. That's At the point, Agudelo won the ball back. Exactly oh the same. God. Exactly the same as the last time, and he charged down. He had the opportunity to shoot, but he didn't take it. He went for the pass. <coughs> now, I don't know why he wouldn't shoot when literally it worked just a week ago. Just <coughs> do it again, dude. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think, I mean, Bologna stopped Spezia from jumping them. Obviously, that, that makes it quite a big victory for them. And obviously, Spezia have proven to be tough opponents this season. They did beat Napoli. They did beat Milan. <coughs> and they fell their own. They, they, they had... Five games in a row where they were just splendid. They they won three of them in Motta a row. Motta won manager of the month. Motta won manager of the month. So there was being interviewed. And, and considering <laughs> considering how shit Bologna have been this season, I would say it's quite a big win for them. Um, at least you know, at least beat the teams that are below you. Yeah. And 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 they did that. So I'll cut them some slack over there. Now they face Salernitana away from home this Saturday. Can they get two wins in a row? No. Think Salernitana hold. I think Salernitana hold or Let me just take them. a note of that Yes, don't worry I'll, I'll, I'll write it down <laughs> on, the, on the prediction series And you can call me reckless again Oh, interesting What do you think I asked you now, brother? So oh, yes. I'll, get, I'll get a head start um, No matter what happens to Spezia this season Do you think they have a real project with Motta? Um, Spezia are in a bit of a pickle Because of their, their transfer ban, man they can't bring in any players. They have a transfer ban. Of course, they have a transfer ban, which is, I think, three years, two years, three years, something what? like that. Yes, man, they haven't bought a player in ages. They have a two-year transfer ban, of course, Spezia. Of course. So, so How long have they, they had it for? Do they have two more years? or, or? Let's, let's get the details on it. Spezia handed four window transfer exactly two years. Two years. FIFA. This happened in 2021 exactly. So July 2021. So that was so the, the summer the, market. The this next January. Summer they can't buy anyone. Still. My God, no, no, that's bad. That's yeah, bad. The, that's. Bad. I mean, the project might be there, but it can't really be exercised right now with this transfer man. Um, I think they have a few pieces. To be honest, that that could potentially, if they play their cards right, they could survive. Um, I just don't have faith in the system, to be honest with you. Um, Simone Bastoni is back. We saw him enter the game. He can, he's going to be massive for them. He's a pivotal player for them, mm-hmm. kind of like um, a versatile player that can play as a left-back, center midfielder, wherever you want him. He's got a yeah. shot on him. He yeah. assists, he scores, takes <coughs> a piece. He's the heart of the Spezia team. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's looking good. Agudelo's playing well, but 
But but but I still think they're one of the weaker sides in the league. No, they are. Possibly right now the weakest. I no, I wouldn't say they're the weakest side right now. I mean, how could you say that when when they just had three victories in a row, including a victory over Milan? Sure, they're lucked out, bro. I get I get that they've been lucky, but they've got the luck. I think Genoa are much worse than Spezia. For sure, but Genoa just draw always. You know they don't lose. Just draw, draw, draw. Lately, on their blessing, they, they don't lose. They just draw. They drew four in a row. Yeah, like, but they're finished. They, they're, Salernitana, they're, same. Draw, draw, draw. You know. They're going down, man. Genoa. Genoa going Genoa down. Are going I think down. so too. I think so too. I can't wait to talk about Ekuban's goal. <laughs> That's it's, it's my game, so yeah, yeah. leave that up to me. No worries. Um, so obviously, this was a like we said, quite a good win for Bologna. Like, like like we assessed we're giving them praise for being very lenient with them um, how disappointing is this for Spezia on the other hand just like that they're four points from the drop zone you know yeah I mean they're gonna be disappointed they would have wanted to pick up a win over here they have a few tough fixtures coming up they again I, I predict them to go down do you This I always get really, really confused because between Spezia, Cagliari and Venezia, it's super unpredictable. At this point, I'm seeing Cagliari surviving. Uh, I'm seeing it between Venezia and Spezia. And I think Spezia might fucking stay up over there, bro. I think we might see Venezia. I think we might be seeing Venezia facing the drop in that case. Because I think Spezia are more capable of getting a result. Sure, they wouldn't look as good doing it. But I think they're more capable of getting a result than Venezia. That's I, what I think. I, I disagree with that personally. I think Venezia are much more complete as a team than Spezia. But they don't get results against teams like Milan and Napoli, which Spezia have done. And I think Spezia could really hold teams within that top 10. I think sometimes it's a bit of a trashing for Venezia. Yeah. Sure, they've done it as well. Like they beat Roma, you know? Yeah. But I think I don't Spezia know, are capable I, of getting I, I look those at one Spezia's points. Spezia's two feats, and quite honestly, I know they're impressive and all that, but I do look at them as two freak occurrences. You know, what they I mean? are. They are two freak occurrences. Look at the, the nature but the fact of, of the matter games. is that they got the freak. They should have lost the Milan one, and the Napoli one was weird. It's as simple. The as Milan one was fucked yeah. because th- th- that that's corruption, blatant <laughs> fucking corrupt bullshit. It's a, it's an the Napoli one, they won it. There, there was no controversy, nothing. Probably Napoli were better than them throughout. They missed a couple of chances. Where, where they had their injuries, but Spezia fucking beat them one nil. Sure, fair enough. And they're getting relegated. Cool. <laughs> Bologna thirteenth as they look to regain their lost form. Spezia fifteenth, four points ahead of Venezia and Cagliari. Fantastic. Now the next game we're gonna be covering. I am once again not prepared at all. <laughs> is Sampdoria to Empoli nil. Fuck yes. Now. <laughs> Back-to-back wins for Sampdoria for the first time this season. Woo! Go some! Nine matches without a win for Empoli. Woo! <laughs> yes, Sampdoria are now unbeaten in 11 of their last 12 games against Empoli in Serie A. Um, Empoli's only win in this period was in May 2019, and the goal scorers were Farias and Di Lorenzo. Oh my god! Yeah, um, fantastic. Thank you for that. Now, play by play, um, I didn't even write how the goals were because I kind of remember them. In the 14th minute, <laughs> Qualiarella received a very clever ball from Candreva on the right hand side, and Qualiarella shot and fell on his ass and it went in. Um, his first goal in ages. To be Some honest, might really. even call it a scissor kick, man. So- <laughs> 
Yeah, fair enough. Shot and fell on his ass. <laughs> and then in the 29th minute, Qualiarella received the ball from Berezinski, which he kind of controlled by like juggling it into the air and just volleyed it into the back of the net. What a goal. Qualiarella, what a moment of magic. Fantastic. I, I love this guy, man. And he's so passionate. You know, the fans love him. Even though, like coming into the game, the, the some, Qualiarella was off form. He hadn't scored in a long time. But you know, when they're calling out the starting eleven. The fans, the second it's on Qualiarella, they all scream his name. Qualiarella. Yeah, he's a, he's a he's legend. A so hero. even if he doesn't score, they don't give a fuck. Like, mm. He's a hero. There. Can we tell? Sorry, I'm pulling this face while looking at you. It's no because problem. I want either David or Mithul to write a piece about the Qualiarella story. Ooh, that's a good idea. Oh, we can do it, man. We'll, we'll suggest it to them, but we could. We could we'll suggest it. Uh, I've got my ass up to here with my workload. But. <laughs> True, fair enough. Um, the Qualiella story, guys, by the way, is that he was um, he, he achieved a dream move to Napoli, which was basically, which ran its course early and he had to leave. And then it came out later on that um, he was being stalked and receiving death threats. And that the person who was doing this was actually a He's police a officer. private investigator. Yeah, who, like who he was... Um, Putting his safety in his hands, basically. He used to... It's a bizarre story. It's crazy. Yeah, I won't get into it too much because I genuinely really want to write a piece about it. But He, it's, he went it's, to Juve and the Napoli fans booed him for so long. They had no idea. And he was yeah. heartbroken yeah. about that, that he had to make that move because he did to get away. And then this person followed him there. Yeah. Because it was his private investigator whom he took with him. And it was crazy. Like He used to find notes around the house. And there were stories about him. That, that he was part of the mafia and that he'd work with the mafia and corruption mm-hmm. scandals and all that and they would all be fucking created by this person it's crazy there, there, there is a good article you guys can read but don't read ours <laughs> read ours we'll make one <laughs> no problem now um, talking points Sampdoria are definitely safe at this rate what do you think? I would say they're definitely safe. Yeah, they were never in danger, right? No, no I, I say I wouldn't say they're definitely safe. Ah, you wouldn't say I wouldn't say they're definitely safe. safe. I don't think. Let me just pull out the league table here. Sampdoria, 26 points. Cagliari, 22 points. I can't say they're definitely safe. Not, okay, mathematically, they're as safe as Spezia, but just the way they play, man. They're much better than, than Spezia. You know, this, this team has an identity. There's Kandreva. Kandreva's not... Not getting relegated the form he's in, man. Yeah, and they have two wins out of their last five, but oh my days. Hopefully that's alright. Alright, we're good. Jake just fucked everything. I dropped I dropped the mic button. We decided to keep it in just so you can have a laugh. Humorous and all that, guys. We're really likable, I promise. Rate us five stars on Spotify. <laughs> please, please. Um, what I was going to say is basically Sampdoria seem to lose a lot. It's not like they're like... Bagging a bunch of draws, basically. It always seems like they either win a game or lose a game, and more often than not, they're losing it. And they do tend to lose a lot of games. But since Gianpaolo has come in, the, th- the whole system has changed. They're a much better team. They they look aesthetically better. Like it's pretty obvious, you know. They've brought in a few players that are that are decent as well. Um, I can't see this team getting relegated. And to be honest, if the odds were even profitable, which I doubt they are, I would I would put a bet that something. No, stay I, up. I I would bet that they stay up. But I think it's absurd to say that that I'm not saying what you're saying is absurd. But but it's absurd to just randomly say that they're safe. When they're but very much in that battle. I don't think it's random, to be honest, at all. Um, we, we see trends like this every season, you know, with, with teams... Yeah, but Torino weren't safe last year, you know what I mean? You Torino look at them were now. in the relegation pool until the last match of the season. They're only four points clear, but man. But I, I think that in the next five games, they're going to torpedo out of there. That's my point, like... 
I don't. Well, well, let, me, let me see what their fixtures are like. So they've got Atalanta who are in crisis, at, but Atalanta away from home. Mm-hmm. That's a potential loss. Then they have Udinese away, and then they have Juve at home, and then Venezia, and then Roma. They have a couple of tough fixtures, they do bro. Have tough they, fixtures, we we for could sure. very much see them battle it out till the end. I don't think they'll be safe till the end. Sure, but then look at this spell here. Eh? They have Bologna. Salernitana, Verona, Genoa Right after each other They could pick up a few points there They could And then they end the season By playing Lazio Fiorentina And Samp Yeah that's It's tough Inter Inter. Sorry That's Lazio, Fiorentina And Inter It's tough It's tough I wouldn't say that They're totally safe Okay fair enough Fair enough um, cool. I can't wait till the end of the season to like revisit everything we've said and, like, hey, see, see. I don't think they're going to get relegated But it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> Scott Squalierella has scored in each season since 2005. Is he like the only person to do that in no, Serie A? There have been a few other players. I don't have the full statistics. That's here, fucking but, crazy. But yeah, every season since 2005. Fantastic. For him. fantastic. Um, actually, I can find the statistic very quickly because I put a post on our Instagram about it. So I'm going to keep you guys entertained while Jake does this. So here I am. While Jake's having a scroll through, he's opening our Instagram page. You can't find everything there, guys, literally. No, I didn't write it down. <laughs> 18 consecutive calendar years of him scoring, basically. That's Fantastic. mental. He might be the only cunt that did yes. that, to be honest. Um, Sabiri was an interesting player for Sampdoria and in that central attacking midfield position. He put a good shift in. He's a 25-year-old hefty Moroccan player. You know what I mean? He put in. He played pretty well, I have to say. Mm. Um, Andrea Zoli blamed this loss on not a lack of hunger, but a lack of experience. Do you agree with him? So I do think that a lack of experience would have played a factor over here. But I do think that there's a bit of complacency with Empoli. And I'm not going to say particularly in this game. But I think as a team, they find themselves in a unique situation where they got all the dirty work done already. They got their upsets done. They're safe. You know what I mean? Are they looking to break into that top 10? Probably not. Why not? I I don't think that it's a realistic ambition at this point. I think they've really fallen off and I think teams like Sassuolo, Torino and Verona are, are miles ahead of Empoli. But they're, they're two points away from the 10th spot. They're two points away, but I don't think they're going to capitalise off that. Look at Empoli's last few games. When was the last time Empoli won a game? No, for sure. They're on an eight fucking winless streak. But um, I think the 10th spot would still be a, an objective for them. Of course... Probably their their main objective from the start of the season up until now was survival. So perhaps there may be a bit of complacency when it comes to that. But I do think that um, watching them, they don't look complacent. They work very hard. They run their socks off. They create chances. They play they play very well and they they show desire in their performance. So I do tend to agree with Andrea Zoli there. Uh, perhaps the complacency is more of a kind of not taking a loss too to heart at this point of the season, you know. That could potentially be the case as well. Um, but I, I just don't think that. I, I think basically Empoli have really fallen off recently. And, and I mean, that that's not just an opinion, but that's a, that's a fact considering yes. that, like you said, that statistic, they haven't won a, haven't won a match in around eight matches. Um, I don't think... <laughs> what's, what's the matter? It's going to die. Your laptop's going <laughs> to yeah. die? Cool. Uh, but like I was saying, I, I, I don't see Empoli being the side that they were in that first half. 
of the season, you know what I mean? I think they are one of the teams like Bologna, for example, that have gotten worse in the second half of the season, whereas a lot of teams in their same position in that mid, mid part of the season have gotten much better. So I think that's caused a bit of a discrepancy and I think we'll see Empoli go further down now. That could be the case, bro, definitely. Um, we'll see um, when it comes to Empoli right now. Again, their main focus was survival, so I don't think they're going to be too bothered if they don't get the 10th mm, spot. But, but absolutely anyway. not. Um, Empoli is sitting 13th with 31 points, while Sampdoria sit in 14th with 26 points. Lit. So the next game, and is this the last game we're going to be covering? Um, no, there is. No, yes, it is. It is. Oh, and the last game we're going to be covering is Venezia 1, Genoa 1, a relegation dogfight over here. So coming into this match, the last time a goal was scored in this fixture was back in 1962 as their last two games ended in nil-nil draws, and that includes the reverse fixture that was played this season. Genoa have won eight of their last seri- of their last 16 Serie A meetings with Venezia. However, this season, Venezia look far more likely to survive than Genoa, and are coming off a 2-1 vic- away victory to Torino. So for the play-by-play in the 13th minute, an Aramu corner was flicked on by Cacciaroni, giving Thomas Henry a clear sight at goal and he made no mistake heading the ball into the back of the net for his fifth goal of the season. Shortly after, Nani almost scored a stunner after striking from, from almost 30 yards out, only to see his shot stray just wide. In the 29th minute, Ekoban scored one of the most hype goals I've ever seen as he skipped past Caldara far too easily and finished well past Romero. I say this goal is hype as he as the man legitimately screamed before striking the ball. So he had never scored in Serie A before. He dribbled Caldara, saw his opportunity, and before shooting, if you watch the replay, he starts screaming. It's, it's <sighs> the, the adrenaline just escapes him. You know, he just can't handle how, he, he knows it's gonna happen. He knows yeah. he's gonna <laughs> score, you know. He just screams in almost celebration. Shoots and he's off like There was nothing else at that point that was going through his mind That was the only thing pure adrenaline and instinct took over And he finished well respect to him And he almost got a second later on in the game And the ball was weirdly cleared off the line (laughs) So the game pretty much, I mean, after the 29th minute It was back and forth and back and forth End to end This match was fucking rock and roll, man both sides played like it was a final and they went on to the very last minute. Crazy. This is Serie A. This, this is Serie A, baby. Definitely. Uh, Genoa are still just on one victory this season, though, so they could try all they want, eh? But <laughs> one victory this who, season. Who? Genoa. Genoa. Yes, one victory. And against? Was it against? It wasn't against Salernitana. I think it was against Samp, bro. I think their win was against Samp. Potential. Let's see. It was against Cagliari. Ah, against Cagliari. Okay. Uh I mean, another shit team at the time. So, (laughs) wow. You know what I mean? Um, Venezia, on the other hand, got a well-needed four points in two matches after a very tough schedule that they Mm -hmm. had. Yes, finally, their tough spell is behind them. They had Milan, Atalanta, Inter... Napoli Napoli, Torino All all these teams Like um, You know Torino With all these guys But yes They're a tough fixture Definitely Uh, They actually won that game But um, yeah That's behind them Now they can finally Try to get some points And this was This was one of them I'm sure they were hoping To win this game But um, unfortunately For them They did not manage Ampadu 
has been Venezia's silent hero this season. You were actually kind enough to inform me that he's played in six different positions this season alone. Yes, uh, it Venezia. was actually Mithul who, who tweeted this and I saw it. I was like, wow, six? That's crazy. My um, God. He has been Surely. everywhere though. I feel like every time I flick on the Venezia game, Ampadu's playing somewhere else. Like, That's true. The center back, right back, left back. Fucking That's true. midfielder, you know, is anything. Anyway. I do like him in center mid, Ampadu. I like him in the I middle like too. Him. I like him. He's a physical force that's quite interesting as a box-to-box kind of player. Very yeah. good. Well, it'll be very interesting to see what happens with Venezia. Now they're currently in 18th on 22 points with a game in hand. Same points as Cagliari. Mm-hmm. Uh, Geno, on the other hand, they look destined to, to go down, probably more so than Salernitana. It's very much at Crotone. Crotone Parma vibes. Um, they're in 19th, two points ahead of Salernitana, but aside from Campania, have two games in hand. So welcome back to our question segment to ask a question or to drop a hot take. You can follow us, or you don't even need to follow us. You can just DM us on Instagram. And follow Seria us Spotlight. while you're at it. Um, Twitter will do as well at Seria Spotlight. Those are the two platforms where we take listener questions and hot takes. Um, you're early, you know. We don't get many questions, so we'll definitely be discussing yours if you if you do go ahead and ask. Our first question comes from Femi at Femi the Punisher on Twitter and he says is 100 million a realistic investment for Milan this summer? Like can Milan spend 100 million? I don't think so. I don't think so. I have heard that because um, Milan were pretty um, well behaved what's the word? No, well behaved sure let's say well behaved were disciplined mm. um, or stingy rather in the <laughs> in the January market that in summer they, they might have kind of a a blank check kind of thing of course take it out with a pinch of salt um, so I don't know I think 100 million is kind of steep especially for Elliot but you know it very much depends it very much depends on where Milan finish for example you know if Milan win the league then it's 100 million probably to spend like. it would be nice to spend 100 million after you know Milan are probably going to lose Kessie on a on a free just like they lost Hakan on a free and they lost Donnarumma on a free so 100 million it does kind of seem like it's coming mm-hmm. out it, of it nowhere does need to... in reality it's not coming out of nowhere because Milan have held back from making big signings last window and mm-hmm. and this January as well yes. when when they were linked with Botman um I think Botman and another player is as realistic as it gets I think Botman and Sanchez are pretty much I think Sanchez is happening 100 percent mm. well let's say 99 percent as Galliani used to say um <laughs> Botman will probably I hope happen actually and that you're looking at that that's already somewhere in the what that's like somewhere Botman, in that region Botman's it was 80 million of Sanchez is how much Sanchez it's is, what 30 million yeah, somewhere I, I would say because because Botman was was previously priced at 50 million from mm-hmm. what I was saying but Maldini can fucking negotiate yeah. so I, 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 I see that within the 70 million region Probably. To be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if Milan spent 100 million this summer. In to today's market, come to think of it, you can. I think it would be foolish not to invest in, in either an attacking midfielder or a striker. Or, or a right winger as well, to be honest, man. I think there's a lot of work to be done, man. Yeah, there is. 
There is. But yes, I'm slow and steady. And thank you very much, Femi, for the question. You made me think, man. You did, you did. Um, and we'll definitely probably bring this up again in the next <laughs> episode after we sleep on it a little bit. Um, the next question comes from our good friend Steve Collier. We'll have to bring him on one day, bro. Yes, yes, I'm in, I'm in to have Steve on. For sure. For sure. Shahana, bro. <laughs> he says... Um, do you think that if Leao was injured all season, Milan would be in the same position as Juve? I think that Chiesa and Leao are both super impactful and decisive players, so losing them makes a huge difference. I, I totally agree with you. No, Milan would not be in the same situation if Leao were injured for the entire season. The guy gets you a goal out of nothing. Mm-hmm. That goal that he scored against Sampdoria, for example, isn't a goal... That would have come had Rebic or Salamakers mm-hmm. been been playing over there. He's a guy that can turn it up. Milan get in a lot of situations because he's so adventurous. He skips past players. He takes shots from from mm-hmm. you know certain areas where other players wouldn't take shots. Um, he's the key piece to Milan's team. I tend to agree with you over there. However, um, we're saying Leo was out along with everyone else that has been out, or is everyone else fit in the situation in this hypothetical? Like, because if, for example, Rebic is fit on the left, I don't think that necessarily Milan would be in that position. Just because, I only say this, because Milan have had so many injuries and going into games, I've had zero expectations and zero hopes. And looking at the lineup with all the makeshift players, you know, we've seen Calabria playing in midfield. Yes, we've seen yes. fucking Kalulu playing centre-back, all, all the shit. But Leao is... Daniel Maldini playing. Leao is the star man. Leao isn't one of those guys that can randomly be replaced. I think even having a direct replacement like Rebic, who's fucking mm-hmm. great, still doesn't compare to what Leao brings to the team. For I sure, think he's like Ronaldo was to Real, like Messi was to Barca. I think he's... That's I'm the say he sure has. I'm not sure I would say that that's where he is because he does. He still has the habit of zoning out, for example, of games every now and then. And we do create chances from the other side, for example. You know, we, we often see... I don't know Calabria charging up and crossing. We see, we see fucking Tonali playing forward balls. You know, we Brahim early on the season had three goals. I'm not saying that Milan are are totally one hundred percent reliant on Leao. Yeah. That, but that's, that's, but that's, that's the question: the... Would Milan still make top four without Leao? Well, make top make top four. Yes, make top four. Yes, be pushing for the title. Absolutely mm-hmm. not. Okay. Okay. Um. Fair enough. I. Okay. Um. If everyone else was healthy, I would say yes. If you add layout to the injury woes that Milan have had this season, definitely no. Mm-hmm. Okay. Nice. Good. Um, the next question comes from Rock the Boat at Rock A Ward on, <laughs> on Twitter. Um, he says, Bremer versus Botman. And this is a fantastic question. Oh, I haven't seen um, enough of Botman, though. Same, same unfortunately. It's so annoying. For, like for like I'm going to say Bremer, you know what I mean? But he says, do we really have enough money for Botman and Renato or just one? Ah, these are all different questions. Okay, so let's start with Bremer versus Botman. I think just because of the financial aspect of it, plus the fact that we're still bringing in a fantastic player, I'd say Bremer. I would say Bremer, but only because I haven't seen enough of Botman. Yes. I've Apparently, only seen highlights of Botman. Botman is one of the most highly rated centre-backs in, in Europe right now. Newcastle uh, want him. Yeah, like, apparently he's one for the future. Like, we're talking about a world beater over here. Mm. Uh, but I think Bremer would do, would do nicely anyway, especially for the financial for sure. sacrifice over there. Um, do we really have enough money for Botman and Renato or just one? So it's a similar question to Femi's, to be honest. Um, I think that Milan are due a splash. Yeah, I, th- I think I think both could be done if, if both 
you know, can be negotiated at a bulk deal, I guess. I, I don't think Apparently, Milan yeah. would, would opt for them if, if they're both going to cost 40 million, you know what yeah, I mean? but I think Lille needs some money, apparently. Financially, they're in a dire situation, so I think they'll be looking to sell. So it is definitely doable, mm. for sure. Who would you keep in the squad from the players returning from loan? Of Milan, of course. So we're talking over here. Okay, Adli, let's Kal- let's break Bag- them down. Pobega, Adli Pobega. Caldara. Caldara. Because I doubt Venezia will exercise their loan, but their option, sorry. Um, we're talking Colombo. We'll come back. I would loan Colombo out. I'd loan Colombo out. Um, I'd keep Adli. Adli is highly rated. Um, yeah. I would love to keep both him and Pobega. I think I of see course. I see Pobega potentially starting next season. And Adli is um, in, in the plans for sure. He was just kept mm-hmm. out. I think again, Adli is a guy that that I haven't seen that much of, and and I'd, and I'd like to keep my eye on, out on him a little bit more. But I'm a massive fan of Pobega, so I'd, I'd love. To keep him on until he'll potentially start alongside Tonali, I would think. Maybe. Um, they would be good together. I think it would use him as like a, a super sub of the bench or kind of a player that you bring on to either look could for be. a goal or to secure a, a win, you know what I mean? When could you need be. a guy to put in a shield. But then again, he could also become that goal-scoring midfielder. Sure, sure. That's what excites really me. That's the idea. That, to be honest. The, so but for right. Milan, as in, so that, that's, mm-hmm. that's what really excites me. Yeah, it could be the case. Um, Caldara, I would sell definitely. Caldara, yeah, I mean, what you make six million, seven million from the Caldara? Two, apparently. The option two? of Venezia is two million, which is ridiculous, but anyway. I mean, sure. Uh, Milan we'll are terrible at selling players. Mm. Terrible at selling players, but anyway. Um, who would you keep from the current players on loan to Milan? So, right now we're talking Messias, we're talking Brahim Diaz. Are there any more? Tomori was sealed. But I think that's it. To be honest. That's it. Is it? Is that in the starting eleven? Yes. Yes. Okay, I would keep and Florenzi. Florenzi. And Florenzi. Um, Florenzi is replaceable. Mm-hmm. Like, depending on it's how like much Falulu of a financial commitment Calabria. is, I wouldn't mind losing yeah. Florenzi. Although he brings that wicked shot, but it's a bit frustrating mm-hmm. at times as well. Um, Florenzi is replaceable. I won't keep him. Um, I would keep who, who else did we say Brahim and and Brahim, and, and Brahim. Um, Messias has been better than we expected but I still won't be too keen to hang mm-hmm. on to him mm-hmm. I think he's replaceable I would keep Brahim because I think he'd be great to fight for his mm-hmm. place no matter who we have in the attacking midfield role it'd be good like we saw what he could do when we brought, when we brought him on against Inter he was superb that difference that mm-hmm. he brought to the game you know one second they're facing Kessie and then the next second they're facing they're Brahim, facing Brahim uh, Diaz. A completely different player, yes. And this is Brahim Diaz's first full season, full professional season. Remember that. That's mm-hmm. a very important point to remember. Um, I would I would definitely redeem Brahim. I wouldn't redeem Florenzi, and I would only redeem Messias if we can screw Croton over with a deal. You know, mm-hmm. I'm talking like like three four million three four million. I take Messias. Yeah, three four you know, million, three four million probably. It just yeah. depends on how it's the books are. Another body, a versatile player, adaptable, a good player. Um, thank you very much, Rock the Boat, for your questions. Um, thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Uh, we appreciate it. Um, we have listeners. We, we saw the algorithm recently. We saw the, the statistics, the analytics. That's hello to all for. our friends from Saudi Arabia. Yes. By Saudi the way. Arabia, we hello. appreciate Shout out Saudi you guys. Shout Love out you. North America.
Shout out Central Europe. Shout out Malta. Shout out the one guy in Korea. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we have so many. Yeah. It's so interesting. But really, it's it's really um, fun seeing where this is going and the reach that we're getting. Yeah, we, we've got a couple of guys on board helping us nowadays. We've got Joe Portelli doing some of our graphics. Ah, yes, legend um, Joe. Huh? Shout out to Joe. We've got our, our blog dudes that I mentioned at least five times every episode. David and Mithul appreciate them. We've got, you know, Santi Mintoff and Grima that are always willing to jump and give us a helping hand. We'll be excited to have Steve on board soon as well. I want to do a Milan segment with Pans. Oh, we need yes. to bring Pans on for sure. Good for friend sure, of mine, Milan sure. fan. And we'll do a couple Milan segments here and there. Of course, of course, of we course. We have to. There's an exciting one in the... Possibly in the past. Yes, yes, we won't. We won't we'll, we'll talk about it ourselves. We won't bring it up to anyone yes. else for now. Um, also, guys, weird one. Let us know what content you'd like us to dish out in summer because it's weighing on my mind now. The fact that there's not going to be any football and I would like to keep dishing out content or we'll go under the radar and obviously we don't get to talk football as much. Um, so hit us up with any ideas you might have. Instagram, Twitter... Uh, Follow us on both of them, follow us on TikTok, check out our website and we'll see you all next week.